All right, everyone. We thought we were going live before. Maybe we're going live right now. Hopefully, we're live now. I'm Carter. Uh, we are. Yes, we are live. Okay, good. That's working. I'm Carter. Uh, we are doing the Unsafe Space Book Club today. We have, I think, the smallest book club uh, audience that we have ever had, which I will admit is a little bit disappointing to me because I thought it was an awesome book. But um, hey, you guys can't hang with some good writing. I don't know what to tell you. Tell you. Uh, but Alex and Keith can. Alex and Keith, hi. Thanks for joining. We are responsible for an awesome discussion, all three of us today. So let me start. Let me start by asking you guys: um, Did this change your opinion of anarchy at all? Are you guys on? Are you guys muted again? I don't know why. Central governments never learned their lesson. I was still unable to mute because of the central authority. Oh, there was some allow on panelists to unmute themselves, allow panelists to unmute themselves button that wasn't clicked. Sorry about that. So you guys should be fine from now on. Um, yeah, did you, did this so change your default. opinion about anarchy at all? No. <laughs> no? I, I'm sorry to break your heart, Carter, but I did not break like this book. <laughs> you I not like the book. That's fine. It, like... I kept saying this, I kept feeling it while I was reading it. I was like, the dumbest smart people I've ever read. Um, <laughs> that's where I was throughout most of it. Because here's the thing, is that I'm not okay with anarchy, and I'm not okay with uh, overreaching government. I want something in the middle, and I, I, which is how I am with most things. I want something in the middle, not like full-blown one way or full-blown the other way, because I feel like that's always going to result in problems for people on the on a massive scale did you did you um did you go in thinking one thing about anarchy and coming out the end or you just came in like and didn't it change your opinion about anarchist thinkers at all well i mean i'd read some anarchist thinkers before but um for my mind i'm like what are your arguments for this and a lot of because i i read a lot of argumentative uh, essays and like as like I even taught argumentative essays and everything and my so I didn't go into it like with a, a major thing of like I'm gonna hate this like I gave them a chance to convince me and some of the points I agreed with them on and then but the conclusions they came to or the assumptions they started from were where I had a problem like I know you mentioned you like this uh, Spooner thing but he says um, of the Constitution, it purports at most to be only a contract between persons living 80 years ago. And I'm like, that's not what it is. That's a bad assumption to start from on the on what the Constitution is. It's not a contract, not with people. And that so I'm like, immediately, right. I'm like, you've, you've gotten something wrong. <laughs> well, I think he's responding to the social contract argument, which is often what's used to justify government, right? So there's context there. But um... I mean, it was, it's, it's weird because I, I really appreciate radical thinkers, um, even if I disagree with them. So like I had trouble slogging, like everyone knows already I'm, I'm an ANCAP. So like the anarchy part was fine with me, but I had trouble struggling through some of the communist stuff and the bad economics. And even though I had trouble struggling through it, 
Um, and and like you, I was identifying at least for this part, like oh, these are some bad premises and some bad conclusions or or whatever. Um, it's still refreshing to hear. I think it's refreshing to hear someone who's coming at it from like a completely different angle. And like this is, I'm looking at society. I'm stepping outside of what we have now. I'm not stuck in where we are now and I'm trying to address problems kind of with a clean slate. So I, I appreciate even that, but yeah, I don't know. What about you? What about you, Keith? Did it change your opinion about anything? Uh, it, it helped me understand aspects of anarchy and, you know, some of the more common problems. I haven't read very much about it. Um, and I don't consider myself an anarchist, but my entire, uh, political and how to arrange society thinking since, I don't know, probably by around 20 or 22 or so, I was pretty much libertarian. So ever since then, the really, the most interesting or the only interesting arguments to me about government are how far to go from like small L libertarian to anarchy. Like I'm somewhere in that line and I just slowly move closer and closer to anarchy. So I don't know where I'm at. I, I'm, I'm, I'm like small L libertarian to me is way too much government now. But I'm not quite anarchist. Um, I th it was it was so, someone who said was was it David Friedman I think who who was saying like because this is kind of where I am where he was like let's push to get he couldn't solve the national defense issue cleanly or at least he felt like he didn't have a good answer for the national defense issue and he was like okay well let's get to the point where that's all we have and then and then we'll see uh, and that's that's been kind of my strategy with anarchy generally anyway is kind of like let's just start replacing stuff. And once we see that it's working, then we look at the next thing to replace. And like, I think that that will work forever. Um, and we can replace everything. And, but you don't have to agree with me to take the first step down that path. Right. And, and he spent his chapter, David Freeman's chapter in the book was half of it was on how to do national defense. And, and, and yeah. he's picking the two biggest problems. So, you know, the libertarian 101 is, well, who will build the roads? Well, that one's pretty easy, right? You don't have to think about it too much to figure out the roads part. But yeah, national defense, that's a big problem. Um, and the other part that he went into, which I've never gotten a good handle on it thoroughly, is, is courts. How do you do courts and, and that sort of thing? And he had a powerful argument for how to do that. So that was one I was never real sure about. And there's a couple people in this address that to my satisfaction. Um, the national defense one I still think is kind of is, is a tough one. Um, but you see countries that don't have defense, you know, Switzerland, like North, how come North Korea doesn't want to attack Switzerland? Like they're not sending, you know, the Middle East, Switzerland doesn't need to send troops to Afghanistan because terrorists are going to bomb. Eh, nobody really wants to go after them. So that's worth thinking about, you know, the argument that, uh, that was presented in there by a couple people. I don't remember who, but that a country that doesn't go out and attack people, how, how many people really will want to take it over may not be as big of a problem as people seem to think. The, re the reason a country like U.S. needs a huge military, one of the reasons, not the only one, but one of the reasons is because we've got military bases in you know 100 countries and we, we're bombing a dozen or so right now. Um, yeah, a lot of people have a problem with this. So like we need a small... It's like we need a big military because we have a big military. Is that really the reason? That might be the primary reason. 
So the idea that you can back that off to something much smaller um, and not have a standing army, that's a powerful argument. So to answer your question. um, Oh, sorry, go ahead. I was just going to, I don't think, I'm not sure if I actually answered your question, which is, uh, I understand it better and I'm more comfortable with moving closer to that line, I think. So I guess minarchist is a word to hear people throw around. I guess I'm a minarchist, but some people think like libertarian is minarchist too. That, that to me, mainstream libertarian is too much government. I think. What about you, Cheeky Mayor? What was your reaction? Um, I liked the book. Um, I didn't read all of it. I read, I skipped chapters. Um, can you hear me? I'm yeah, at work, so I can't do video. Um, so I grounded the different chapters and having the, like thinking through the thought process and having those different perspectives to think about was definitely probably pushing me towards the minarchist. But I, I'm like you, I think, I think we would have to do it piecemeal. We couldn't just go from where we are now to, all right, no rules, <laughs> you know, no government. Um, so if we could baby step towards it, um, I'd be all for that. You know, I've been, my brother is um, part of a, a Republican group and I've been kind of like feeding him little libertarian uh, principles. <laughs> and so it just gave me a few more um, principles to kind of feed him and get him to think about. So it was definitely a good read. I mean, it was hard. I have a reading disability. So it, the old timey language was hard for me, but I got through most of it. So I liked it. Keith, I was, I w- there was one part in particular that I was thinking about you, and I don't remember who it was. Was it was it Spooner that was talking about the, uh, I think it was Spooner that was talking about the American, uh, I was going to say Civil War. Constitution. You'll, you'll smack me if I oh. say the word Civil War. Uh, <laughs> war the, of the War of Northern Aggression. What do you call it? <laughs> well, I prefer to call it the uh, War for Southern Independence. War for Southern Independence. Was it Spooner that was talking about that a lot? Uh, yeah, in fact, he, his article was written in 1870 about, so yeah, it's just after. And Lysander Spooner, for people who don't know, he was an attorney and an abolitionist um, who basically, I think he supported the South seceding, like that's what his story is. It's, it's a move towards uh, independent government. Um, go ahead, anyway, it probably was him, but. Yeah, no, it was. I just he didn't have a lot of nice things to say about Lincoln. Um, He certainly felt like it was an expediency was the reason why, or kind of doing this the political wind was the reason why any slaves were freed, and that that it wasn't really a move towards freedom. um, The Civil War, which I think, or the War of Southern Independence. Um, I don't know. I I just thought of you. I was was reading that because I know that it's it's a topic that you're interested in in particular. And his characterization of it. So I like reading people who are contemporary, at, um, like who are writing contemporaneously oh, gosh, about um, events, even though they have their biases. And I'm sure he, he obviously has his biases. Um, it's not filtered through um, the lens of what's been ex- the accepted historical narrative. It's biased, but it's kind of more raw. Like this is what's happening right now, and I'm responding to it. 
Um, so that was one of the things that I enjoyed about that. I just wanted to know if you had any thoughts on Spooner's. I uh, yeah, I enjoyed his, um, and it, it's a bit of a slog. Uh, Cheeky Merrick, you said if you you know to read something that an attorney in 1870 was writing, uh, and he's long-winded. He he makes his point like over and over and over and over. Um, I was interested. In, I never heard a lot of what he was talking about. I've never read him. I know who he is, but uh, yeah, he made he made the point uh, basically about independent government. He he went into some detail about why the South seceded and why they had the right to do that. So uh, for for those arguing that you know people have the right to self determination and to set up their own government. Um, which is basically the argument of the Declaration of Independence. Uh, you have to say that the South had the right to secede, of course. Of course they do. If you believe that, you know, the revolution, the, you know, the American war for independence, that we were allowed to secede from England, then you have to say the South can secede from the United States. It's the same question. And he presented that really well. So I'd recommend that chapter to people that just want to read pieces of this. And if anyone wants to read the book, um, it is a big book and it's dense, but it's a whole bunch of articles from all different people starting from, I don't know, 1600s or something, 1700s up till now. Yeah. Uh, so you can just read pieces of it. It's not necessary to read the whole thing. And I didn't finish it. I'd like to finish it. But, um, anyway, Spooner, he, he went into the reason for the South seceding and, and supported it, basically presented the reason for why. So people who think they understand, you know, that Lincoln was a good guy and wanted to keep the union together, that's a bunch of, you know, that's the, the reason was the slavery. And he, I, I already knew that. I've read a lot about that. But um, Lincoln picked up on the slavery thing partway through the war because he realized it had a lot of political advantages. Uh, but he didn't care about getting rid of slavery. He would have let the South back in and kept slavery forever. I, don't know, I think Spooner made that point or somewhere else had read it. Like there was a 13th amendment was proposed. I don't know how many people know what the original 13th amendment was, but it was going to make slavery legal in certain States in perpetuity and put it in the constitution. Like Lincoln would have gone for that. It's kind of ironic. That would have been the 13th amendment. If we let Lincoln write it, <laughs> the one we have is actually the opposite of that. Uh, but it, it's interesting for people who were who following that. Uh, if you want to read, a description of why the South seceded by an attorney and an abolitionist written in 1870. Like, that's an interesting view. That's better than reading the Black Lives Matter view. <laughs> I like this part and, and the Constitution part too. I don't know if you want to get into that, but that was fascinating. I never even heard that argument about I'm going to switch to talking about that. Yeah, I mean, I think it, it kind of ties back into what Alex was saying, though. So I want to, I want to pull Alex back in a little bit and say so what were what were some of the were there any arguments that you hadn't heard before or were they all like yeah I've heard all this stuff before I mean most of it was uh new to me it was just that I felt like a lot of the times the argument could have gone either way on a conclusion um you know it could have uh the one that actually drove me crazy the most probably was the, uh, the Morris and Linda Tannehill, The Market for Liberty, which is an incredibly long one because it talked about privatizing 
the court system and, and justice. And that really drove me nuts because I was like, we've seen like Pinkertons and, and I'm like, is this how you want is, do you want a cyberpunk dystopia? Cause this is how you get a cyberpunk dystopia. The idea that everything is privatized. It, I was like, it's not actually going, here's my problem. So I think it's naive to entirely trust the internet, the, the government to do everything for you, to always have the, your best interest at heart. Absolutely, 100% true, because it's made up of people. I also think it's uh, naive to have that same trust in private organizations. I don't think they also have your complete trust in you, you know, that they're your complete interest at their heart, because they're also still just people. And I think any organization, whether it's state, or private or charity or whatever will eventually only exist to promote its own internal goals for the people at the top. So is that, do you think that's not what they're saying? Cause I think they would agree with that and they would say yes, but then you have competition, which, which you don't have in the case of government and you do have in the case of multiple, like if they have, I think they mentioned like thousands of, or maybe it wasn't them, maybe it was Friedman who mentioned thousands of, of these organizations, like competition keeps them in check, right? Like, so Apple, as, as, as Apple's become more of a monopoly, I think their customer service has gotten worse, like, and Comcast is really horrible. But if you, if you go to um, an industry where there's lots of competition, you generally get much better customer service. Just, you know, I agree with experience. that. I agree with that, except for the fact that I am pro antitrust. And that doesn't come from a private organization. And I've also seen industries self-regulate to the point where they protect each other. So for example, uh, uh, an the, the video game industry, for a good example, they have their uh, ratings, their ESRB ratings. They make that up themselves. There's no one else, is, that's not- Why do you think they make it up themselves? So that they can sell the best uh, to the widest audience. So like an 18 plus game will not sell. I have a theory about why they make it up though. I, I, I don't, maybe I'm wrong, but I know why the MPAA does it. Why? They did it to prevent the government from doing it. The, they, like, the government talked about doing it and they were like, no, 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 we'll, we'll self-regulate. Um, so they did it because they were afraid of the government doing a worse job. I don't know if that's they had games, that. but I certainly remember the Tipper Gore era of like, and the, the era of like, hey, let's regulate all the stuff that kids are consuming. I don't know when, I don't know anything about the video game industry. So maybe that has nothing to do with why they're doing it. I'm just throwing it out there. Well, to me, to me, the idea is though, even with your example, the threat of the government regulation was there that made them do it. If the, if the government was not there at all, they would they have done it? Probably not. Well, but you're complaining that they're doing it poorly. So let's... <laughs> So good. Well, I don't I, know about uh, movie in the that rating, but I can tell you the problem with the video game industry, why their self-regulation is bad is because they won't make anything 18 plus that includes gambling mechanics, which then it's being sold to minors. That's why I say that internal industry regulation is bad. Well, gambling is something though that's got, has legal significance and is, is regulated by the state and right. So there's 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 a precedent for gambling being treated differently right that's and not the government's not doing it that's well, the my problem does, is that they're like 
when the government doesn't do their job, I have a problem with them. But when they do it badly, I also still have a problem with them. Like, do you like it's not that I'm like, yes, government get involved every time. It's just that I don't think that industries will regulate for the good of the people or their employee, their employees. They won't. Either. They'll regulate for profit. They will regulate to make the best money. They'll so regulate think, for profit for now, but they won't regulate for profit for the long term, even uh, because they will, will fail themselves. Mm, good, good ones will. No, good ones will. There's plenty of examples. Like, there's a reason why people like. I mean, I'm not saying this is this guy's the best example ever, but he's the most recent I can think of. There, there's a reason why people like Elon Musk are like, I don't do earnings calls because I don't want to be driven by the 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 quarterly cycle of having to tell you like i don't want to be driven by quarterly stock prices right um warren buffett is kind of famously not driven by that either and also very long-term thinker like good good ones will right i mean i think the whole the whole focus on short-term profit not to throw government in again but the whole focus on short-term profit is largely a real result of regulations on private markets and the fact that we have the way private markets are run, or not private markets, public markets are run, um, is very much uh, controlled by the government. And and we have quarterly earnings and all this kind of crap. And this is this is part of an apparatus that I'm not sure would evolve naturally but on its own. Something would evolve, but I'm not sure it would be that, right? Maybe, maybe I'm wrong. I think something that, that you're, I can agree with you on though, which I think, I don't remember who mentioned this, which, which author talked about this, but I, I got this theme, I think from a few, few different authors that there's a, there's kind of an underlying need to have a culture support. I guess the, the one that I can think about the most is the last author whose name I forget, hold on. The guy who Michael talked Malice. about the yeah, Michael Malice. <laughs> no, no, not Michael. John, John, yeah, not Michael. John Hasnas, Hasnas, the attorney. Um, his argument that the law is never objective, which, by the way, I had never heard. I, I had never really heard that. I thought it was really interesting. Um, but he, I was kind of getting this sense from him, like, look, the law is going to be whatever kind of the culture of over time pushes the law to be like people are going to interpret it based on their own biases and their own ideology and if if ideology of the judges changes over time then that's how the law will be interpreted and it seems to me and this is one of the reasons why while i might be excited about like pressing the reset button tomorrow and having complete anarchy politically <laughs> one of the things that i think is a prerequisite is a culture that like respects some of the ideas of individualism first because otherwise you end up with a culture that's pretty pretty horrible so i don't think there's anything about anarchy or the free market generally even if it's a regulated free market i don't think there's anything about that that tells you that you get good esrb ratings i i think what the, what it tells you is you get ratings that the market supports and those are what that's what people support i mean if it's free you get what people want and what they want isn't always, quote, good, right? It's just what they want. I don't know. Maybe you don't know how many people are 
mad about the ES ESRB ratings because it's it's quite a bit. <laughs> sure, but but it's either happening because it's what people want, all things considered, or there's externalities probably involving um, other dynamics that we don't see. That's like the why they're doing that, right? They're not just doing it because they're they want to sabotage their own business. Like they're not. They're just. They're not doing it out of malice. Has any are? other company, anybody else ever started a competing rating, voluntary rating system? There are rating systems in other uh, countries, mostly. Um, I don't, I know the UK has their PEGI one, but I don't know if that one's state or industry based. What's the big, what's the, what's the, what's your, what do you think the weakest argument in from all of the authors in the book was for anarchy, Alex? The assumption that the constitution is a contract with people. <laughs> it's like, it's not a contract and it's not about the people so much as it is about limit on the government. And that was my it problem. It is a contract. What do you, what do you think it is? It is? A contract. It's not a contract, what is it? It's not. <laughs> What just, do you consider a contract? How do you, it's something that people negotiate and argue for to stand for a certain amount of time under certain instances. But the idea is, is that a contract is, uh, it's, it's about the, if you don't apply it to that idea that it, these people had to argue for it. And if you want to look at it from a private standpoint, then maybe it could be a contract with the organization of the federal government, but it is not an in with itself only, not with anyone else, because the contract is essentially that they won't do these things. And right. as a government, not as a people, that's the problem. He keep bringing up the idea that it's between people. And I'm like, it's not between well, people. That's not his idea, though. He's debunking people. it. He's agreeing with you that it's not a contract. He's arguing against the people who say it's a contract, because that's the, where the moral that's where the validity comes from morally. So he's saying it's not a, it's not a contract at all. He's agreeing with you. But if it's not a contract, then what is it and why do we have to follow it? You could I think you could actually argue it's a contract between states because it was ratified between state like you you could actually maybe make that argument but he didn't get into that. But let's put that aside for a second. I I think he would agree that it's not a contract. So what is it and why is it why does it bind me, for example? If it's not a contract, why do I care what's written on the piece of paper? That's It doesn't bind you. It binds the federal government. Well, but it does bind me because certainly the federal government binds me. <laughs> like they, I can't, for example, disobey a law and, and expect no consequences. Like I, I am subject to their jurisdiction. Well, those laws are not listed in the Constitution. We're talking like if you're talking about the Bill of Rights specifically, then that is not about you not murdering someone, which is a law that is separate from the Constitution the and the Bill of Rights. Yes, exactly. So that is not what's binding you. So what would you say? What would you say? How would you see? So would you say the Constitution is what then? It is a limit, uh, a list of limits for the federal government. So, but it, is it enforceable at all? By whom, like for who promises to, to limit it and who can enforce it? Like who, what's it, who's it a promise to? 
I would say it is a promise to the people, but at the same time, it's basically a limit by the federal government for the federal government. They're supposed to enforce it themselves upon themselves. And so you sound like you're you're supporting him. Like this is I, you sound like Lysander Spooner right now, or whomever. <laughs> What's the difference between what you're saying and what he's saying then? I mean, look at what he wrote. Okay. That was a really long one, by the way. <laughs> it was. I got stuck on the one with the rights thing. The, like, this is your right. And he said rights about 47,000 times. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I got stuck on that one. So I started flipping around. I think it was chapter four. He, he needed an editor. I would like to yeah. <laughs> cut that down to like 10%. But anyway, go, go ahead. I think you are agreeing with them, Alex. And I didn't agree with them, by the way. What would, okay, while Alex is looking it up, Keith, you didn't agree with him. What, what do you think the Constitution is? Well I, um, well, I look at it as a, it, compact is the legal word that's normally used. It's a, it's a compact, which is a legal agreement between states between government bodies. So his point was that there's no such thing as that. You can only have a contract with a person. So I think where um, I would like to see him address it, like I would, I would like to be there and say, well, what about a compact? Like, it's not a contract. No one ever said it was a contract. Um, we, we, contract is the word that's often used with people, general people. You just say, what is it? It's a contract. It's actually really a compact which is a contract between states, if you want to use the word contract. Um, the federal government's thing. not a, what? I, I thought know. it was a makeup thing, a compact. I'm being funny, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Keith, maybe he would have made his life easier. I didn't easier. know you switch. Maybe he, he confused things by using the constitution of the United States, because I think, I. Like I said earlier, I think you can make that argument. Like this is an agreement between states, because it is ratified by states. Um, now you well, can he... also make the argument then that states don't exist and blah blah blah. But he could have maybe picked on a particular state's constitution and made this argument about the state's constitution not being contract. That that would be easier, I think, to do. Yeah, that's a good idea. I didn't that didn't occur to me, but but I would have wanted to ask him. Um, is it possible for a group of people to make an agreement that binds them? He's, he said, no, I think that's what I would summarize his like 300 page diatribe on, on this whole thing. He's saying that, you know, there's the president has no obligation to anybody because they didn't issue their oath to anyone. Um, he, he doesn't, he, you know, corporations wouldn't count like, no group can ever make an agreement. No, no, that's kind of where he starts from, right? Could. No, but a corporation, everyone in the corporation agrees, so it's unanimous, and they can they can make they can make an agreement with like you can't have groups make agreements, but uh, you can't have groups bind people who don't agree, and you can't have groups bind their <laughs> their progeny. Like you can't have offspring bound, but people, people who are born bound yeah. by it. So I think. His argument is, if it was a unanimous thing that this group of people unanimously agreed, that's, yes, we want to be bound by it, 
And this group of people unanimously agreed we want to be bound by it. And they signed an agreement between each other. Like, I don't think he would argue that can't happen. I think he's arguing that's nothing like any law in the U.S. or any compact or constitution. Unlike the constitution. Okay. I think the problem, though, is that he acts, I think, in like any organization is by law considered an entity, whether it's private or state, and can enter into contracts. That includes the federal government. They make contracts all the time. And well, so, but he's not talking about legal. He's talking about morally, right? And so morally, in a, in a, in a, yes, if if I have a company, I can make a contract. But you don't have to be part of my company. You can you voluntarily are part of my company, knowing that I have power to make contracts that bind potentially you. You can leave. Like there's, it's all voluntary. You're not. I can't. I can't start a company and have you not be a part of it at all and say I don't want to be part of this company and then go bind you by contractually obligating the company to do things and say, well, sorry, Alex is part of my company. I don't care that you didn't want to be part of my company. You are like, and that there's a fundamental difference between the federal or sorry, between governments and private organizations, right? But I can leave the country too. Well, that's not, that's not relevant, right? Like that's, that argument is not relevant. Like you're just sitting there doing your thing. Like, yes, but you couldn't, you can't actually leave the country and go anywhere on earth where someone doesn't say that they speak for you and bind you to contracts. So we're not, we're not talking about, he's talking about ethically, like he's talking about philosophically and morally, can you be bound by, can party C be bound by an agreement between party A and B? And you can't just say, well, party C could move if they don't like being bound by A and B. Well, that's, (laughs) <laughs> they're, they're all, they should be able to be in a coma and not do anything and not get affected. Like they're not bothering anyone. They're just doing their thing. And that's, that's his moral argument, right? So where does the right of A and B come from to bind to C or to demand that C moves if C doesn't want to be bound? Well, my problem is, is that again, I don't think the constitution is about forcing you as an individual to do things so much as it is about forcing the government to not do things. And so to me, it's right. not actually bounding you. So like we're looking at two different assumptions there uh, argumentatively. And then that, so that means that it's only the organization bounding itself. Well, that, but that's why I'm saying if, if we switch the argument to a state constitution, because I agree using the, the constitution of the US is a little bit tough because you can make an argument that it's just states binding each other. Like, like agree, you can make that argument. Um, now, I think he could then, if he wanted to, he could go into that argument and argue that states don't actually exist and blah, blah, blah. We can put that aside for a second. It would be much cleaner if he just picked on a state like Massachusetts and said, here's the Constitution of Massachusetts. How does it, and, and there's a law that says you can't do X, Y, and Z in the state of Massachusetts. How does that, how are you bound by that law? Morally. I, I want to bring up one thing. The, the way, I don't think that analogy works because the state constitutions really come from the same sovereign source, which is the people. So if you bring it down to the state level, you just be talking about the people or the ones who are the contract contractees of the state constitution. And it's true for the federal one too. Um, Alex said something that I just want to point out that the, the U.S. constitution is the federal government binding themselves. Like, no, the, the federal government has nothing to do with the U.S. Constitution. It's formed by it. 
the, the US Constitution is a compact between the states, which is really the people of the states. So when they wrote it, so like the concept is people can select representatives and get together and write the constitution that was going to form the federal government, which formed 13 years after the states, by the way. Um, states were around for 13 years before the federal government formed. Um, so this, the federal government is not a party to that agreement at all. It's not even part of it. it it's formed by it. It's impossible for the federal government. So I just want to say it's not the federal government binding itself. That's the disaster we have in D.C. is people go to the federal court system because the federal court is the federal government's doing something wrong. So we go to the federal courts. It's like you can't go to the federal courts to stop it. The state's out there. And when they wrote the Constitution, all they did is write it and send it back to the states. And then the states, they had um, conventions picked by the people. It wasn't even the state legislatures. So the state legislatures didn't approve the Constitution. That's not how they did it. They selected a convention, each state, and then they met just representatives. They met and decided whether to approve it or not. So it's really approved by the people, ultimately, um, of each state individually. So the, the federal government has nothing, was nothing by to do with it. Some democratic process within each state? By convention. It wasn't a majority vote. It was done by, they call it convention. And they debated that in Philadelphia. You know, they talked about whether the state legislatures should should approve it or should they do it by convention. Um, they didn't do it by the legislature. They did it by. So, so what they were trying to do is get back to the people. So I think the counter to Lysander's to go back to that Lysander Spooner's argument. If you if you separate the question and we've been mixing it up here and I have been too in my head. He gets into the argument of like 80 years later or you know 250 years later for us. Are we really bound by this contract? Because we didn't agree with it. That's an interesting question. He also talks about the question in 1787, was the general public bound by it? That's a different argument because there was a process where the people picked the representatives, the representatives got together and they decided to, to accept it. And then the federal government formed. So there is at least an argument, even though each individual person didn't sign it, uh, there were a bunch of people that signed it. He says no one signed the Constitution. Well, that's not true. Like every state had a ratifying convention, and the guys that wrote it signed it. Yeah, they signed something. Um, but every state had a ratifying convention, and some people agreed to it. So you have to get back into this process of, well, should they have had each person in the United States sign it? That's an interesting argument to me that everybody should be bound by it. Otherwise, nothing applies. Um, and one other thing I want to throw in that the point that you did were making about what the Constitution is like, yeah, it's it's only about the federal government it doesn't Constitution says nothing, almost nothing about what a people or even what a state can do. There, there's a couple limits on states that are in there, like it doesn't allow a state to do a couple things like states aren't allowed to do their own money. States aren't allowed to do treaties with other states. By that, they mean England. You know, Florida can't make a treaty with Mexico. Um, and they're not allowed to impose tariffs on each other. And they have to have a Republican form of government, small r Republican, nothing to do with the party. Like, that's pretty much it on, on the states. Everything else in there is either a expressly delegated authority to tell the federal government, all right, you're allowed to do this, unless we tell you you can't do it anymore. 
or it's a limit on what they're allowed to do. It doesn't say anything about the people. Um, sorry, sorry so to let go, me, if I went into no, too much fine. detail let there, but then I, I wanted to go, no, 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 no. Just get my mouth shut. No. No, that's, that's my, fine. that was, that was my point cheeky. usually is that it's not a bounding on us as individuals. It's a bounding on them. Yeah. That part. Yeah. Totally agree. If, and if and the, the, because it could be ended, it could, well, it, it, as a practical matter, it doesn't seem to bind anything. <laughs> um, didn't work, right? Well, but um, can't you, can't, look, let's step back. Can't you also make the argument that the constitution has enabled the creation of an entire federal bureaucracy that does indeed force you to do things. Absolutely. It's okay. So it's the question been, is, do they have a right to force you to do those things? I hope not. I, I wouldn't say, I wouldn't use the word enabled. It's, um, it's just a piece of paper. So like paper, you know, the, the, what uh, I think Jefferson or whatever called it a paper barrier. Like a paper barrier doesn't do anything. It's just a piece of paper. If, if it isn't enforced, and you brought that up earlier, Carter, that somebody has to enforce it or it's not worth anything. And it was yeah, supposed to be the state. The, the but, the, but, but the conversation that Spooner's having is, is with people who argue that we are morally bound to obey this, the bureaucracy created by the, that is the federal government because we're we are in some sort of social contract with the constitution of the united states and our state constitutions and laws and that obliges us to behave and his argument is it does not oblige us to behave i'm trying to understand if there's disagreement with that argument or not here it does not oblige us to behave if they don't uphold it that's their promises that's their limits so you they're not upholding it if they were upholding it i would be obliged to obey it but they're not upholding it so i don't have to uphold it either when someone reneges on a deal if you want to get back to the contract then you don't have to follow it through on your end but you okay so that that's that's an interesting nuance so you would say i don't i, I don't want to i'm not trying to put words in your mouth so correct me if i'm wrong alex but you would say that if the federal government were, in your opinion, behaving as it were obligated to do via the Constitution, you would likewise be bound to obey. But because it is not, in your opinion, it's not, and I would agree with you, <laughs> therefore, you are no longer bound by it. You don't Pretty much. It. I'm going to, in like, to my mind, I'm like, I'm going to stand on the idea that I still have these rights then I'm going to push for them. And if they, you know, tell me I can't, then I'm just going to keep pushing and pushing and pushing. Like, I'm, there's no reason for me to just roll over and behave when they tell me to shut up because they have no authority, according to the Constitution, to tell me to. Uh, and so, and I think when it comes down to it, uh, a lot of the extra laws that we are part of, like most of those I agree with on an ethical level, like basic stuff, like don't murder people. Like, okay, don't attack people. Okay, fine. I don't like, I'm okay with that. Uh, but like when it comes to stuff like, oh, you don't have a right to be here in a public space. That's where I'm like, no, I totally do. And I don't have to listen to you tell me I don't. 
So, Actually, you know, contract-wise, even murder doesn't count. There's nothing in the Constitution about murder. Like, the federal government has no legitimate law against murder. They're not allowed to do that. That isn't a federal power. So I'll, I'll disagree with you. No, murder, D.C. Can't. I mean, like, on a personal level, murder. I ethically will not commit murder because I already don't agree with it. It has nothing to do with the contract. That's how, how I feel about murder has nothing to do with the contract. That's the, good. the way the founders sure. would have put put this problem is that so the problem is that I, I don't know what the percentage is. I'll just take a wild guess, like 98 percent of what the federal government does is illegal because there's no authorization to do it or it's specifically banned from doing it. So the problem with this conversation is you got to figure out the few things that they're actually allowed to do legally and separate that conversation. They are allowed to create an army if there's a war, but they aren't allowed to you know, tell you how much water is allowed to be in your toilet when you flush the lever, which they do. Yeah, like, but like there's nothing neither that one of you have convinced that. me, even in the case where the federal government is, is behaving itself, where, where morally you get, why are you morally obligated to? I don't, obey? oh, I, I would never argue there's any moral. I, I don't think it, it is a moral obligation. If, if the, even the stuff that's, expressly delegated that you might agree was a good idea to do. Um, if we don't want them to do it anymore, then the states could just have a meeting and just close down the federal government. Like you wouldn't have to invite anybody from DC to the meeting. We could try again, or maybe not have a central government okay, so at all. I'll, I'll switch from moral to contractual. How are you legally obligated to obey anything the federal government tells you to do? Where does that legal obligation come from? Because that's his point. His point ultimately is you have no legal obligation to these things written on pieces of paper. That's why I like separating people who were alive and part of the process of writing it. So this question might have a different answer in 18 or 1900 than now. So there isn't anybody now that agreed to this under the argument, and I'm being a little bit of a devil's advocate here, but just under the argument that the constitution was ratified by a convention of representatives chosen by the people of the states. So then you have you to say, is it- that representative, would you, are you bound? Because that's, that's one of his part points. Of it. One of his points is that, and another interesting one I've never heard before is that it's done by secret ballot. So whoever heard of a contract that's secret, like you're not even allowed to know the people that you're contracting with. So, well, so a representative a... and a president has no person that sent him there. He doesn't know. All he knows is that some computer spit out a app, a total number. And in secret, a bunch of people said, we want you. Who's he obligated I, to? I actually had a big like, come apart at that point because when he was talking about the secret ballot, because I was like, there are, there are positives and negatives to the idea of your vote being secret. For the longest time, I never told anyone ever who I voted for or what I voted for on anything because it was none of their business. <laughs> and because there is such a thing as discrimination based on your political affiliation and it causes fights and all this stuff. And so like, to me, I understand why some people don't want to talk about it. I recently came oh, out with- I, I, yeah, but can you put that aside? Cause I totally agree. I see all the reasons for a secret ballot. I know why we did it. It doesn't undermine his point that 
actually it makes there be no real party to the contract. Like both can be true. There, it can be that if we have a ballot, there's reasons for it to be secret because you'll get discriminated against and, and you could sell your vote and all that kind of stuff that you don't want. And at the same time, it could be right that a secret ballot means you don't actually have a party to an agreement. Well, and then all, the other one, though, is that people can't pressure you necessarily if they, if they don't know what you're going right. to vote for. They can't pressure you in your personal yeah. life and your work and everything like that. But um, so to some extent, it, it it gives you some protections. But there is such a thing as like votes in organizations that are for a contract that they don't know how people went like they they do that there too so it's not as if it's something that's only for states it happens what do you mean give me give me an example like uh like a board of trustees may have a secret vote for a a motion they may not necessarily you know state verbally and openly who they what direction they want to go on a contract they can do that too so it's like it yeah, just kind of depends on you're missing there. <laughs> no, to right. me, the idea is, though, is that you it's a trade off. Like it is a trade off. And I don't well, think it's unviable an ballot. Right. I think you're reacting. You're reacting as I viscerally did when I read it, because I agree with you. Like, I wouldn't want a not secret ballot, but he's not arguing for a not secret ballot. He's arguing for not a ballot, in which case this doesn't matter. Right. So like we don't have to get upset that he's arguing against the secret ballot because he's arguing against the ballot fundamentally. He's pointing out some problems that happen because it's secret. And I think if it wasn't secret, he could point out a whole different set of problems, which you're you're talking about some of them. Right. So I, I think the point is there's problems either way. And yeah, the, the it's a trade off like, is different pros and cons on both sides of that. And I'm not going to say that's not true. I totally agree that, that, that it's a it's it's not clear which, which one's better. Well, I think he would say neither. Like, y- you should not have such a thing, right? Like, And the Board of Trustees secret ballot doesn't that, – that's not an apt analogy because the Board of Trustees, it, they are voluntarily members of an organization that has rules about voting and have agreed to bind themselves each individually through whatever process. It could be that they flip a coin. It doesn't matter. They've agreed and they can back out and no longer be part of that organization. All of that is premised. So all of the private industry stuff is is the underlying foundation of that is that you are part of that voluntarily. And so that allows any set of apparatus, any rules you want to build on top of that, you can do trade-offs between secret or not, or should we flip a coin or should we let short people vote first or last? Or like you can do anything you want, even if it's stupid, because anyone's voluntarily a part of that. In the government, that's not true. Well, then how right? do you get any kind of involvement from your people besides just telling them what you're going to do? Like, well, if you're going to have... Argue you don't have a government. That's, that's, that's but then you have... Uh, if you don't have any kind of organization, because that's the problem, is that they call it government, but to me, it's always organization. By the time an organization is deciding what people are doing... It doesn't matter if it's the state or something private. They're just they're making decisions for people. No, it does because you can because the state is the only one authorized to use force, right? So it does matter. Like I don't, I don't. Who like says they if, won't use force in a private society? Well, that now we're getting back to like yes, they could, but there's now they can hire competing. You know, 
you can have competing defenses. Like you can you can move with your feet. You don't have to be part of their thing. Yes, someone could always use force, but his point is the state is is granting a monopoly on force, and that monopoly on force is dangerous because there's no recourse in that event. In the event that the state goes awry, there's no recourse. In the event that your private uh, security force decides to go awry, well, there's lots of other private security forces. Most people actually don't want to murder and they don't want mayhem. I mean, if they did, the government wouldn't work either. I mean, if, if, if they had the police, if every time you went to the store, people were shooting each other and the cops always had to, you know, come arrest people, like it, society would break down if there was a large number of lawbreakers generally. So most people don't want that environment anyway. So a rogue organization that starts to do something would receive a lot of pressure pro and, and presumably physical pushback from other organizations people have hired. Like, I wouldn't want to be part of an organization that did that. But you can't, I can't opt out. Like, for the, the government right now is arresting people for using drugs. And because there's drug laws, there's a war on drugs. I, I don't want to be part of that. I don't want to pay them for that. Will, would I would I be happy to pay them for, uh, we'll say the easy the easy example of foreign defense? Sure, yeah. I don't I don't want someone invading or bombing my city. Like okay, that that I'll pay for, but I, I don't really care if someone wants to do pot on the street corner, uh, and I don't want to. And I think that's the initiation of force to stop someone. From, like so, I don't want to pay for that, and I don't have that option unless there's competition. That's I'm I'm just that's I think that's the argument. I just don't see even with competition because we see places be develop a monopoly even on. What's an example of a monopoly that's developed without the government's assistance? In the U.S., that one I'm I'm not going to touch because I don't know enough of the history. But I've seen in like less stable areas monopolies of force and they're not oh of for monopolies of force you mean like warlords <laughs> and 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 in africa or something yes then there's no way to like what do you do at that point it's like you don't you're you're struggling to, to get food even so you're not going to be able to hire someone else to protect you necessarily right right so i think if the only argument case, Go ahead. Go ahead the, the only argument for government having that job is, is you're saying that you don't like this particular monopoly of force that maybe you do have a choice of following or maybe you don't. And you're going to replace it with something that you definitely do not have any option. Like you're going to put a monopoly on force and assign that role to the government and you're done. That's it. I don't actually believe in a monopoly of force, even when the government has it. So just to be okay. clear, I'm not actually arguing for that. Yeah. Oh wait. So wait. How would that work? But I'm what saying no. I'm at my pro. Sorry, hi, Keith. I, I, we'll get back to Alex in a minute. I, I was just curious. gonna. I was gonna clarify the question or clarify my point. Um, that the argument and and I think you've used it once or twice before. That you, you see some problem in like the the rating system uh, in the uh, video game industry. It's the same question. National defense rating system for video games. Uh, I don't think they're different questions. You can either have a private thing do it that could compete, or you could have a monopoly do it. 
which is the government. That's what you're going to call the government. And by the way, the government also has a monopoly on force. So if you don't like it, too bad. So, so to me, if you say, if you point out a problem, and I see people do this all the time about everything to do with the government, everything the government does, they look at it and you say, well, private business could do that. And then people say, well, they might do a lousy job. And so, but it's not an argument to say, well, then therefore the government must, should do it. And if anybody that makes that argument, I would just say, well, give me an example of something the government does really well that would be impossible to do privately. I would ask you that question, like, can you name something the government does really well? I can't. They get people to vote. I don't know. Maybe there's oh, something. Do that. Well, never mind. <laughs> I can't think of one. Can you think of one, Carter? They tax like, me. They pretty something well. to go. <laughs> They're good at monopolies. As far as a monopoly goes, it's impossible to have a monopoly without a government. Like, there's no such thing as a monopoly without government. You need a government to have a monopoly. That's what Amazon and, and Facebook would like to do right now. They would like to turn themselves into a monopoly and therefore they love to get involved with the government. I want to get back to something Alex said because she was pushing back on monopoly of force. And so I'm, maybe I'm misunderstanding what you're talking about. So I don't actually think that the U.S. government has monopoly of force because for one thing, we have so many different jurisdictions and we have LEOs coming at each other from different angles in investigation. Um, so we have federal agencies, we have state agencies, we have city agencies and county agencies. That's not a monopoly. Like, I'm sorry. Like, I know it seems like it when well, you talk. Can you say, I don't want to be subject to these laws and have these please come after me? I want to choose a different one. Like, can I say, I don't want, uh, <laughs> I don't want the ATF. I choose the, the Texas, if there's an equivalent of, I don't know if there's an ATF and like, that's the one I want. I want the Texas Rangers. I don't want the ATF. You can through voting and, you know, campaigning, like people go into things to change. Well, that doesn't, that, that doesn't count. I, I can't. Right. Other people can, like if, if a majority of people vote for a particular thing that I want, then it happens. But that's not me having agency. I can't change it. It's not agency to speak your mind that you want this to go away and that you think other people should push for it too. Voting's not Obviously that's agency, mind. but like, it's not, it's not that I have, I don't have control over the outcome. Right? I don't like, if I said to you, well, we're going to make rape legal because 51% of the population is male. Like, well, you could vote against it. Go ahead. Like, well, that's not a, <laughs> that's not an argument. Like you still don't have, like, that's not allowed. Like you, you, the, you don't actually have, you, you can't just say, well, you can vote for this thing that you can vote against this en encroachment of your rights. That's not yeah, a very good example though. My rights, then, then, then I don't win. That's not a very good example though, Carter, because they did eventually push for rape to become illegal. <laughs> And that was in it, and Why it wasn't just a good example. It wasn't just women pushing for it; it was men too pushing for right. So they made a illegal. good decision at that point. That's good. Like I'm not saying everything that people vote for is wrong, but I am what? saying that it's certainly naive to think that oh, don't worry, the majority will vote for the thing that will leave you alone. If that were true, we would be in a minarchist government right now. 
I'm not saying don't worry. I'm saying that if you want things to be better, you have to, you know, take part in using your First Amendment rights and, you know, getting other people to agree with you. Right. But I'm saying I'm not saying like that's neither here nor there. What I'm saying is <laughs> it doesn't matter what I'm, I'm like, whether I use my First Amendment rights or argue or whatever. The point is I can't choose to not have the ATF police me. I don't have that choice. There is a monopoly on force. Like, yes, there's overlapping monopolies, but there is a hierarchy, right? Sometimes that hierarchy is not super clear, um, but there is a hierarchy. So the FBI can come in and take over jurisdiction for from the local authorities, right? And maybe the state cops can take over jurisdiction from the, the your, your town cop. But so there's, there's a hierarchy, but there is there is a monopoly. I can't just I can't just say I'm opting out, and you can't say, well, yeah, you can't opt out, but you're allowed to bitch about opting out. Like, well, that's not the same thing. Like, I like I don't want to be murdered. Like, being able to say I don't want to be murdered and not actually being murdered are two different things, right? When when you talk about the hierarchy. Um, there's really only two levels. And I think we have to be clear if we're talking about the United States versus a state in general, um, because when I talk about government and monopoly about force, I'm talking about the state. Um, and and we, we glossed over the difference between federal and state and what we call a U.S. state. But in the United States, the states are the state, right? The federal government is a, uh, a an agreement between the states. So as far as authority goes, like the FBI versus the state, it's like, no, it's the other way around. The state government has higher authority than the FBI. Um, if, if a sheriff- well, Not in practice. Not in practice for most part, but it's because state governments and sheriffs don't have the balls to put it in practice. But there are plenty of examples of states doing it. Um, marijuana is one. Uh, we're gonna eventually overturn federal government marijuana laws uh, by them just having to give up. So the federal government always has to use the states as part of the team. So the FBI, like ATF, can't enforce anything without local authorities. They almost never even try. There's not that many agents. There's only 5,000 or something. Right, but my so point wasn't that. They always they, use. My, my point wasn't to articulate the hierarchy. I said that there is confusion over the hierarchy, and that is true. Um, however, mm -hmm. there's still a monopoly. Like, I, I can't say I don't want the ATF here. Like, and like, I can't, I can't say I don't want to be subject to this. Now I, I could, if I'm in a state that's willing to stand behind me and say, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, but that doesn't practically okay. happen. Um, and if that were the case, I couldn't say, well, I don't want you either. <laughs> like, you, you personally couldn't, right? You well, personally could or it would be difficult, but you could in, in a small scale, and this this is the anarchy thing, like going smaller is better. So if you take it down to the county sheriff level, it's easier to talk about. So if the ATF is doing something that is, number one, unconstitutional, um, and you got a sheriff that'll stand up, you could actually do something. Um, an example would be the, you know, the ATF has used uh, medical marijuana registration in states that provided to the federal government and they cross-check that with firearm registration or, or 
NICS checks. I don't know how they do it, but they find out who has guns and they go and they say, well, you're not allowed to have a gun if you're a medical marijuana patient. And there's examples, there's plenty of examples of sheriffs saying, no, you can't do that. Or ATF agents come. If a sheriff stops an ATF agent and, and says, I'll arrest you if you try to confiscate his guns, the ATF agents have to leave. Like the sheriff is a higher authority. He works. I, I understand so, that, but so, we're not, that so I think undermine the argument that we're in a monopoly. I can't opt out of my sheriff. It is a monopoly. My, like, the sheriff becomes a monopoly. If my the sheriff sucks, I can't opt out of him. Right, like no, I, and voting doesn't. If do I it. don't like AT and T as my service provider, I can choose. I was gonna say Sprint, but maybe AT and T bought them. I don't know who. Like Verizon, right? Like yeah. I can choose Verizon. I can choose T Mobile. Like I can, I can, I can switch cell phone providers because I don't like AT and T. Right? I can't do that. I can't do that with the the laws. I can't say I don't like the set of laws and the way you enforce them. I want to switch to a different set of laws and and how they're enforced. I can't. And, and, and I, I agree with you. I was just set, trying to separate the monopoly of force and where it's coming from. In general, I'm just referring it to, it's all one thing. So the, the, the president and the sheriff are all the same thing when you talk about the government having monopoly of force. If, if a cop shoots you, he can say, oops, I made a mistake. Um, I, I, but if you shoot the cop, you're gonna go to jail even if it's a mistake, right? There's a difference there. Yeah. yeah. And my point is only um, I get that there's confusion about the hierarchy and who has jurisdiction because mm -hmm. the, the government apparatus above me is somewhat fuzzy and and there's self-contradictory yeah. laws and stuff. So like the sheriff can argue and the FBI can argue and someone can say we, we're not going to, you know, I have jurisdiction or you have jurisdiction, but that apparatus itself can't be replaced. Right. So yeah, yeah, I get, I got, I do tend to, and I just did. I get distracted by that difference in the levels. But really, where I, where I was ultimately going with that is that when it's towards anarchy, is also for small scale. To me, I look at like anarchy usually is smaller scale things. Everything happens more locally. So when you get down to the sheriff, like if, if you if you as a step in that direction, if you really let the sheriff and and get a sheriff that will use the power that he should have. It helps a lot with that. It moves it away from that monopoly of force, but you still do have a monopoly. It's just the sheriff is closer to something that you voluntarily pick because it's at the county level. Now you got like you and your neighbors are picking the person and you get the voluntarily pick it. Sheriffs are elected. It's closer. It's not there. It's, I have I have a much because you can't have two sheriffs on my sheriff than I do the president of the United States, for example. A lot more. Right. Voting for president is, you know, when people people claim is your voice heard. I think Michael Malice did that in the last chapter. It's like you're not your voice isn't getting heard by voting. I like the meme that's been going around that says that uh, voting is the adult version of writing a letter to Santa Claus. <laughs> right. I hate people yeah. who argue that if you don't vote, that you're not making your voice heard. And like it is of your voice being heard. You're saying that these two people or, you know, however many candidates there are, all suck. That's a statement. And <laughs> maybe, or maybe you don't care. Yeah. The problem is it's not clear. So, yeah, is it making your voice heard if no one knows why you didn't vote? And I, I don't mind. I, I've always told people who I vote for. I mean, I, why, I, I think I don't. Go ahead. Go ahead. 
No, go ahead, go ahead. Um, yeah, we're dealing with the delay, the internet delay here. Um, the voting for president doesn't matter that much. I mean, I've been doing it since like 1980. It didn't matter at all. I don't know why it bothered. Um, and I did vote most of the time in New Jersey. So, but I mean, and I don't mind telling, I've never minded telling people to vote for. I, you know, to me, if making your voice heard includes saying like, hi, I'm Keith. I voted for whoever I voted for. I voted, I'll just say, I, I mean, last election, I voted for Thomas Massey. I wrote him in. I mean, I didn't want either of the two possibilities. Like, I didn't, I didn't want either of them in there. I'm not voting for them. But um, I did want to, like, to make a statement. I don't know if anybody cares, but I, I picked somebody that's already going to D.C. because I wouldn't wish that job on anybody that, that wasn't already signed up. So I picked somebody that's already going there that's doing some pretty cool things. So I, I wrote Thomas Massey. Uh, the time before, I didn't vote at all. Um, and... and you know, I looked at, the, you know, the, the Clinton-Trump fiasco and campaign. I'm like, this is ridiculous. And, but nobody knows why I didn't vote. A lot of people don't vote because they don't feel like bothering or because it was a good movie on Netflix that night or something. Doesn't Who that mean, though, that, they, that the political uh, question is not, is not important? That's a statement, even. Like saying that yeah. I think important. that this yes, is not true. important. I, yeah. I think watching this movie yeah. on Netflix is more important than voting. Yeah. Yeah. And if it was I, a good movie, it is more important than picking the president. I don't care about the president that much. I don't think it matters that much who becomes president. Now, I, now I might argue, I, and I do make the point, like there are a couple elections important. I would say like the most important one is the school board. Like that, I wouldn't want to miss that vote. I think it's really important to vote for school board. And sheriff, that's pretty important. And then as you move up from there, it's less and less important. Like, governor could matter. President, I don't know. In the long run, I don't think it makes much difference who the president is. It certainly doesn't matter which party's president. Government continues to grow. They borrow more money. The ATF had more enforcements under Trump than under Obama and more under Obama than Bush and more under, like, like what metric do you look at? They borrow more. Trump was the biggest tax and spend president in U.S. history. That's a fact. A lot of Republicans, you know, smash it on the head with the flag and start saying the Pledge of Allegiance over and over. Um, but that's just true, right? Trump, Trump was the biggest tax and spend president in U.S. history. Obama, when he was president, he was the biggest tax and spend president in history. And you just go back through them; it's pretty much the same. So. I don't really care who wins the president. I don't think it matters that much. Well, but as Alex Down said, like people things. get people tell you you can't complain if you don't vote, and that that bothers me as well, Alex. Because I feel like if you're stuck in a cage with two gorillas, and one of them's wearing blue shorts and the other one's wearing red shorts, and and the zookeeper's like, pick which gorilla you want to maul you, and you're like, I don't, I don't actually care which gorilla mauls me. Like, I, I don't want to be mauled, frankly, and if there's a way to escape the cage, I would like that. And they say, nope, too late. Uh, you know, we the blue one won. You're getting mauled by the blue one, and I start complaining about getting mauled. They're like, well, you could have voted for the red one to maul you. It's like, well, that's that's not my <laughs> – my problem isn't that the, the color of the shorts of the gorilla. It's that I'm getting mauled. Um, and so, you know, I, I think so long as there's – 
so long as there's not an option to get the government out of my life, I, I'm not obligated to exercise that option. Like I'm not, I'm not allowed. I'm not. I can still complain because I was given two horrible choices, um, and and asked to pretend like they mattered a lot. And I 100% agree with your right to do so. Like to not vote and bitch about it as much as you want. Go ahead. <laughs> like right. I think it's absolute BS to say that that means you're not enacting your rights. That's just one right. I'm sorry. And and. In the grand scheme of thing, it matters a lot less than your ability to actually write and speak up in well, other forms. That's getting back to what you said earlier, like speak up and use your, your voice. Well, that's probably a lot more important than who you vote for. Right, I'm in California. I mean, it kind of doesn't matter who I vote for for president. We're pulling the donkey lever as a state, and that's what we're doing. So I, When I say your voice, matter. I do not mean your vote. <laughs> Wait, 100%. Okay. Right. This year, like the four of us here are doing way more than voting does. <laughs> Just right. this episode, right? Um, I'm going to read, if you don't mind, my, it's short. Michael Malice quote, the, the last article. Uh, mm -hmm. And anybody that follows Michael Malice wouldn't be surprised that his article is the final one. Um, it was on voting. It was called why I didn't vote this year and won't vote next time or something. Um, uh, before I read this, I want a little background. He wrote the book on Kim Jong-un. It's called The uh, Unauthorized Autobiography of Kim Jong-un. Dear and, Reader. Uh, I have, dear Reader. Yeah, thanks, Chief Um Dear Reader, the ultimate. Dear Reader, but a dear leader is what they call him, right? He's called the dear leader. Um, and you know, the name of the country is the Democratic People's Republic of North Korea. That's North Korea's the spot. But yeah, it's a democratic. North Korea is a democratic country. They have elections, right? Everybody, you're required to vote for the dear leader. Um, but there's one, it's kind of a subtle difference. Michael Malice brings up the point. There's a subtle difference between the North Korean elections for president and the U.S. ones. In North Korea, there's only one person on the ballot. In the U.S., there's two. So, so you have to understand that background to get his quote. Um, the quote is, this is Michael Ballas, no matter how absurd the state line, a huge majority of the populace can be found to promulgate it. People will, will say with a straight face that having one choice for dear leader is tyranny, but having two is freedom. Is the second choice on the ballot really the qualitative difference? <laughs> Damn good question, Michael. Yeah. Well, and I would argue that over the last like 40 years, there's been so much uh, writing and just depiction to show that there's actually only one choice morally and the other choice isn't a real yeah, choice. That's true. That's true. You can you have this choice or you're a racist. Those are your choices. Yeah. So that's not a choice from a moral perspective. <laughs> if you buy into it, it's not a choice. And that's the bullshit. Yeah, that's a good so, point. So Alex, what do you think about voting for somebody that can't possibly win one of the third party choices? I have voted third party before because my goal was to get them up to 5% popul popular vote because uh, I knew that would make a difference. 
That's okay. Yeah. I, I was curious. Yeah, I have. In fact, um, I do say who I voted for. So I voted for uh, my first election, John Anderson. I don't remember him. I'm an old guy. Uh, that was before I heard about Libertarian. I voted for Harry Brown. I voted for Ross Perot. I voted for Ron Paul both times he wrote it. I voted for Thomas Massey. Um, one time I did vote for a major party candidate. It was a Republican. Um, and that is the one time that I don't like to talk about who I voted for because I'm embarrassed. <laughs> and, and the reason that I voted for is that uh, a, a friend of mine was his uh, press secretary and he was his life goal was to be press secretary of the White House. And he probably would have got that job if the guy won. And he was a Republican candidate and he talked me into it. And then later I read more about him. So anyway, that, that's the one I, I would prefer not to say. I did, tell you a, privately if you want. I did a speech when I was in college about the two party system and how failed it is because of the fact that most people are not voting for a candidate, but against a candidate. And that's not really a, a sign that you care about who the candidate is at all. It's a sign and I was that like, you're afraid. Yeah. And someone made you afraid. And so yeah. I was like, that's a failure of democracy, of representative democracy. It's yeah. a good question. You know, when you say, how the hell did Joe Biden win? Like, that's an interesting question. And, and even if you ask to talk to people who voted for him, you say, you know, a guy that like can't remember where the front door is. I, I know he's only lived there for six or eight months, but see the video of him like walking and he walks past the sidewalk. He doesn't know where the front door is cover the front doors um how did he win he didn't campaign he didn't bother with that part um the last the only president i know of that didn't campaign before him was george washington he, he won for a different reason um his, his second term uh his campaign consisted of they called him into the congress and they like bugged him like we really want you to stay president he's like all right i'll do it if i get elected he turned around and left never talked about it again <laughs> that was the whole thing like ever since then everybody wants the job so i always like the argument uh i don't know where i heard it from but um anybody that wants the president should should not have that job like if somebody wants that job there's no way you want them to have that job you're better off with somebody joe biden's an example of how you'd be better off with someone that's a random pick out of the phone like, how about if you could vote against Trump and for a random pick out of the phone book? I suspect the random pick out of the phone book would have won, too. Maybe maybe would have got more votes. I would maybe. rather have a random pick out of the phone book than Joe Biden. I was going to say, I might have voted random pick out of the phone book. For that. Yeah. <laughs> I might have voted for that instead of writing in Thomas Massey. But, you know, not voting or writing somebody in, I, I don't know if that. I'd like to think it does anything. I'd like to think voting for Ron Paul did something or Harvey Brown, or Ross Perot, but, but I, I don't know. And the reason I didn't vote two times ago is because the Libertarian Party is off the rocker. The last two times, I, I, I always had, I, I most of the time had that option. Like, okay, there's somebody running Libertarian. Ron Paul was an easy one. Um, Harry Brown was an easy one, but most of the time, the Libertarian Party candidate pretty good, but the last two times, they're like, "Yeah, I don't want them either." Yeah, I think I'm, I, I would rather have Trump. <laughs> Maybe I don't know. 
I, I belay that one. <laughs> so let's 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 get back to the book because I this Go is back. fun. But sure. um, <laughs> yeah, I, we could probably talk about this stuff forever. I just, I do want to talk about the book a little bit because, um, by the way, for those of you just joining, we're talking about the anarchist handbook. Supposedly, we're having a conversation about the anarchist handbook, uh, organized by Michael Malice, which and is a collection of essays. Um, and the collection of essays starts off uh from 1793 all the way through 2014 i think or actually michael malice's essay is the latest so 2021 um and i i I, one of the things i liked about it is i've i don't know if i mentioned this on air earlier or not but i i came at anarchy i i became an anarcho-capitalist without having read any anarchist stuff at all i only read ayn rand and thought about some of her arguments and then went off and, and thought on my own really. And I didn't really, she was not an anarchist at all, but I reached the conclusion on my own and I've never actually read any anarchist thought. So it was quite interesting for me. And I I thought it was really interesting that the that he chose to put communists slash I don't know. I don't know if he, they would call themselves communists, but it's like socialist, like radical left anarchy, in with anarcho-capitalist style anarchy. So you had, you know, Peter Kropotkin in with Murray Rothbard, right? Um, and I don't know. Did you get? Did you? Did you get anything? I either one of you out of the the leftist anarchy stuff because I, I it was interesting to me, but I don't know that I got a whole lot i didn't need I, I don't know did you guys get anything out of the leftist anarchy stuff uh dynamite's really hard to make <laughs> yes i did learn that <laughs> don't make your own dynamite yeah don't do it probably better just i was wondering it. if you could if you couldn't find enough stuff make put in the book um i it was interesting i mean it, he it loves does help so i think he like, chose that intentionally okay it's it's interesting to try to understand the concept of left anarchy and and you know a lot of people cu- accuse the uh, rioters in Portland of anarchy and that you know anarchist gets a bad word because of that gets thrown around like that and just have to say for the purposes of here like as you as you guys know that's not anarchy like they just want control of the power so that that comes from people using the term anarchy meaning you oppose government so if you're against the the vax passports and mask orders that means you're an anarchist by definition like um so yeah the founders of the u.s weren't anarchists the the people who seceded in the south in 1860s they weren't anarchists those people in portland are not anarchists they just want the reins of power um right so, so as far as the left your question I think it helped me understand that because I don't understand the idea of left and right anarchy. Like that makes no sense to me. I can have a left and right anarchy, but it is true. It does exist. So I would say it it helped me separate that and why there is even such a concept. Because as you did, I never read anything about anarchy, never anything good. Anyway, never anything from a real anarchist. I, 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 my note in the Peter Kropotkin section is that I, I, 
at least from what I can tell, the leftist anarchy has at least one bad premise and at least one really weird psychological trait. And the bad premise is, um, well, I've made a couple of bad premises. One of them is this this premise of equality. Like people are actually and should end up being equal. Like equity. It's an, they have an equity premise, um, and they they're opposed to private property. They view I think they view private property somehow as the initiation of force, which doesn't make philosophic sense to me. But that seems to be their consistent view. But there's also like a psychological. There's a psychological outlook of just envy and resentment. When I read some of this leftist stuff, it was like um, they had wildly outlandish things to say that were just not true. Like rich people only get rich through, you know, basically stealing money from the poor. And like this is it was this kind of really odd perspective. Um, that I didn't seem like it went with anarchy to me. I'm not sure how you enforce no private property without a state, but like Mikhail Bakunin, who was the guy who was the the socialist who I think was, uh, I think was he a contemporary of Marx, but he kind of predicted, look, this is where Marx is going to go. Marx wants to use the state. That's not the right way to do it. You have to use it without a, do it without a state. I'm not, I'm still not sure after reading this exactly how a stateless society doesn't have private property um unless it's just we're going to yeah I, I don't really know how do you if i have a shirt can you just come rip it off my back in a stateless in a stateless leftist anarchy society i don't can understand the concept it, it it sounds it's it's impossible I, at least i don't know how to do it i guess i would say that it's um, idealism it's not reality the my problem with this is that no matter what a hierarchy forms it doesn't matter what kind of society you're trying to not form a society a hierarchy is going to form that's i mean it, it forms right, in that's nature. the equity premise that i think is just wrong right there are going to be people who rise and fall in different areas based on their abilities and talents and possibly possibly their resources luck lots of stuff I mean, they talk about like the ultimate communism system it, the ideal the fantasy of it like everybody just works hard and they have the farms and they grow and everybody shares all the property and everything's great and like you can you know on a family size unit maybe do that right people do make collectives when you try to do a country the size of russia what always happens is some group decides to take over and be the elite and take power. So I think the whole leftist anarchy that they describe in here, I, I don't remember them all, so I'm making a blanket statement, but I suspect they all kind of summarize in like a Soviet Union, communist China kind of end. No matter how you do it, it, it ends up like Cuba, right? Well, I mean, I think- Because somebody, some thug always, if, if you don't have the concept of private security, private defense, private courts somehow, then somebody will jump into that space and take all the guns away. And pretty soon you got Soviet Union. That's probably what well, happens I mean, in a leftist anarchy. Bakunin claimed that, that was going to happen to Marx. Like he predicted, he seems to have predicted like, because Marx explicitly wanted the state involved. But there is this leftist anarchy that, is, that seems to be 
and I don't think they they don't articulate it well enough for me to understand. But they seem to they seem to have this assumption that they can accomplish this utopia of no private property without state involvement. And I, and I think I think Keith, you're right. I think they're looking at like small units like families and communes were like look we can all share if we all just kind of learn to get along and share like a vw bus full of people together on a farm we'll be happy but that doesn't scale well i don't think it's it's naive to you know put a kind word on it um childish <laughs> maybe is a better word it, it's yeah. people who think that that you know there's no really most there aren't any evil people like you have to just start from the premise that there are actually evil people like that's just true so whatever you do design for a society that's bigger than some fairly small size i don't know what the number is because there are successful communes i, I could probably get up to hundreds um, but it doesn't work when you get big enough because you just can't filter the people enough i think as a practical matter is it filtering the people or is it just that because I, I would think I've been thinking about communes and I, I think one of the issues is at a small scale, you feel social pressure because you're very seen. Everyone knows you and it's like, oh, that's Alex. She didn't, you know, she doesn't pull her weight around here. And Alex feels bad about not pulling her weight a little bit and like, eh, all right, I got to pull my weight. I want to fit in and like, right. But if it's like a 10 million people. No one points at her and says, like, that's Alex. And we all know Alex. She hasn't been pulling her weight. She's just like, yeah, I'm not pulling my weight. I don't know you guys. I don't care. I don't care what you think of me. Like, um. Well, and then does mob justice form against me and eventually they kill me? Maybe. I mean, I don't know. Or or if, you, if you're able to, like, live in the shadows enough that no one really knows, like, maybe they're like, well, I assume she does her thing. Everyone else does their thing. I mean, or maybe a lot of people become that, right? Maybe it's. A society full of Alex's, right? What was that? What's that joke in the Soviet Union? They pretend to pay us and we pretend to work, right? It's like, <laughs> okay, like, yeah. I mean, at some point, it, it, if there's no even social accountability for it, right? What I found what I found hilarious about the commune example was that in one of them, I think it was Tolstoy, he said they form their own taxation and their own police. And I'm like, you mean government? Yeah, that sounded like government. Yeah, like, you're talking about government now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was a little bit funny. The le the left stuff, I just, I mean, I like some of the things that some of them say in the leftist stuff, and then they just kind of go off the rails with with statements that just make make no sense. But um, I don't know. There's a was it? Yeah, Vol Volterine. What a funny name. <laughs> Volterine de Claire. I'm not sure how to pronounce her name. She kind of made these, I thought were interesting distinctions between, it was, she was the one, I think she was the one that was talking about how um, she was trying to make the case that anarchy wasn't a foreign concept, that it was like, it was very part and parcel to Americans, the American spirit, um, which I don't, I don't think is incorrect based on like the spirit of it, maybe not the like, this is exactly what we should do, but like that the spirit of of anarchy is is quite American in many ways. And um, she's, her, her point was to talk about that and to kind of convince Americans that this wasn't a foreign thing, but this was, you know, 
an American spirit, and she she draws a lot of distinctions between tradition and practice. Like we have this idea of something, but then the, the way that we practice it, like we have this. I, I'm not quoting her here. Well, I can quote her, right? It's an American tradition that a standing army is a standing menace to liberty, right? But then the next thing is, in, in practice, in Jefferson's presidency, presidency, the she talks about army was reduced to 33,000 men. But then, okay, um, now we have uh, a standing army of 83,251 men. She's writing at the time when Theodore Roosevelt was just president. So um, she talks about the size of the government you know, being the, the the kind of tradition being limited, but in practice, TR just added 99,000 offices at an annual expense of 1.6 billion, which would be nice if that's all we were at today. Um, so I, I like that there's this, I, I one of the things that I appreciate even about the left anarchists is they're pointing out something that I think a lot of people don't want to admit, which is the ideas of what American government was supposed to be and the actuality of American government are night and day. They're not anything like what it, it was purported to be. I don't know where I'm going with that. I'm just making an argument. But that doesn't mean that their ideas of what ought to be are going to be realistic in application either. Like, it, it, well, no, I mean, I was quoting a leftist yeah. anarchist, so certainly I don't agree that her ideas would be would be uh, applicable, but I, I the, the idea that, <laughs> I don't know, I think, I really do think that it's, it's, it's tough for people. And I know, you know, I'm not, I'm not trying to start a fight. I think it's tough for people to wrap their head around, like, it could be different than it is. If we don't actually have to think, like, things aren't what they, they said they were going to be. It actually hasn't worked. Like, it's not working. Like, the government... The, the government, the constitution didn't work. Who was the, Keith, you might've remembered this quote, but there was the, I don't know if it was Spooner or Friedman. Uh, maybe it was Rothbard. Someone made, one of the, one of the ANCAPs said something about uh, either, either the constitution created what we have today, in which case it sucks, or it was unable to prevent what we have today, in which case it sucks, right? <laughs> so it's like, that's kind of a truth, right? I mean, I don't know what, what's the argument to that? We are not really, e even if, e even given that not everyone on this chat is anarchy and you just maybe just want smaller government or, or more liberty, we don't have that. And whatever we did, didn't get us there. So I have a question about the uh, standing army thing. I was yeah. talking to somebody offline about um, how uh, libertarians and, and, and anarchists don't want a standing army. And I was arguing about, like, if we take it down to the smallest level, like my house, I have a gun in my bed stand. It's loaded. If someone comes in, I'm going to shoot them. Fair warning, <laughs> you know. Um, so in my, if you, and then if you go, Presumably if they come in up, uninvited, but, but okay. yes, uninvited, uninvited <laughs> guest, um, a, a person with malintent comes in, I'm going to shoot them. Um, so my, uh, argument then, if you go up the line is why wouldn't we want a loaded handgun, AKA a standing army ready and waiting 
to in case someone comes in and tries to attack our home being the country i think the argument i don't remember if it was friedman or not but i think the the argument is well it's dangerous because a it's expensive and b it's dangerous and there's a compromise that was better that i think was friedman that proposed it which was which actually took from the founding fathers which was the idea of like okay well there's a small number of organizers that are standing that we pay for like officers um but then you have kind of regular people who train and do their thing and maybe you can think of those as militias and whatever and you have an armed populace and you could imagine in a world in which they don't they kind of do this on their own they maybe coordinate a little bit with the the few paid officers they're kind of on the ready to be used but mm -hmm. you're not constantly paying for a standing army right and, well, and you don't they're not constantly looking for something to do well and in this particular situation i would be like okay minarchist i'm willing to pay some taxes to have because the the person that i was talking to brought up the the militias and i said well that's kind of like having your bullets out in little rows not in a magazine you know it's like hold on wait let me organize my magazine and load it into my gun and when there's people coming like that you may not have warning for so i get the premise i guess but i yeah i, don't I mean know I, if I it's hard to say tactically though like in modern warfare let's be honest if there's a problem in modern warfare, first of all, if an army comes in, like an army comes into, let's pick Texas because they're on the border. Mm -hmm. I don't think the army will fare well if they're using small arms against regular Texas citizens. I think they'll be defeated. There's enough people, even if there's not a lot of organization, with zero organization, there's a hell of a lot of guns and lots of people are armed. It's difficult. But that's not that's not the threat we face today anyway. The threat we face today is like, oh, North Korea just fired a nuke at San Francisco. Right. So are you suggesting that um, a private company would be allowed to have the defensive nukes against I'm with Friedman. I'm, I'm with Friedman on this in that uh, I, I think the national defense issue is a hard issue. Um, and I, I don't really know what the right thing for that is. I would I would advocate a path towards anarchy that vectors through minarchism where the last thing the government does is like provide for okay. national defense and I would and and maybe it's compulsory tax and then maybe it switches to voluntary tax and see if that works and then mm -hmm. and then we worry about um and then we worry about privatizing it that's kind of the because I don't think we can convince people Otherwise, like, I don't actually think it's it's that easy to convince people. Um, there was a passage, man, I wish I could find who said it, but there's a passage about this, and Beverly always gets, um, Beverly always gets angry when this is my argument. Not angry. She always chides me when this is my argument to people because <laughs> it's never it's it's never convincing and sufficient. Let me let me see if I can find it because someone. Someone made the argument more eloquently than I can, and it might it might have been Rothbard. Um, well, while, while you're looking, and say the the founding fathers were adamantly against the standing army. So, okay. 
that, and that and that was the point of the militia. And the militia was was the people. It was basically able, all able-bodied men from you know eighteen to forty or something like that. And there were periods of time, like early on, there were states where you you had to maintain a weapon. Um, Congress has the authority, as far as guns go. Like Congress has the authority to tell every able-bodied adult now, probably not just men, that they have to have a certain type of weapon with a certain caliber and maintain certain you know number of rounds on hand like that that would be congress's authority to equip and regulate the militia but as far as like a standing army no that was never actually authorized and they were against it because the standing army works for the government um the militia doesn't so say it's dangerous so the concept is today in you know, modern weaponry, you got the F-16 problem, like Joe Biden pointed out that we don't have F-16s and nuclear missiles. But um, I think you have to note, like the Taliban don't have F-16s and nuclear missiles. They just kicked the U.S. out of Afghanistan after 20 years of trying. The Viet Cong didn't have any F-16s. They kicked the Americans out of Vietnam. Like we're losing wars all over the place. So you bring up the problem of the missiles and the, and the jet fighters, like you definitely need them when two governments are fighting each other. Like if the US went up against Russia, you better have some nukes and some fighters and aircraft carriers and submarines and the whole bit. But in an anarchist society, and I'm working this through myself too, but in an anarchist society, you don't have governments fighting governments. And those things are mostly useful for governments. If an army comes in, as Carter pointed out, is like, like an army can invade Texas very easily. So let's let's say that today I snap my magic fingers and the United States becomes an anarchist society. And what is do you think that we could defend ourselves if China decides they like our land and our resources and sends their their army of a gajillion people to us or their fighter they, they don't have an arm uh, yeah if they had a gajillion we would have a tough time but they don't have a gajillion uh, i don't actually know the numbers but i've heard like the american gun owners are the largest army in the world they are by a lot yeah. um like like it's 10 or 100 times or something I'd okay. say that's We're, protecting us from invasion more than our standing military yeah. is. Okay. Yeah. Do you have any other? Now they could bomb. They could I, bomb I, a city, right? I think. Right. I think we have to. I think we have to compare things to the present state. So, like, China could do that now. Yes. They're not. Now. Is it because they think we'll nuke them? Maybe, right? Maybe, maybe it's because we think they think we'll nuke them. But uh, I forget who was talking about this. One of the things I really enjoyed was the some of the history about wars and like how in Europe it was actually like the normal citizens wouldn't even really care or know if their country was at the state of war with another country, and it was it was like the nobles fighting each other, and they're like, yeah. And passports were actually originally designed to let people travel from one country at war with another country um, back and forth because like the reg regular people just were uninvolved in the war and they didn't care. And, you know, governments 
China runs a tax farm, just like the US. China runs a tax farm. That's what they want. Destroying a bunch of infrastructure and killing people actually doesn't give China what they want. What China wants is to expand their tax farm. So if they were going to take over, um, they would be a lot smart. I mean, they already are expanding quite intelligently without using any weapons, right? Um, they're, they're buying a bunch money, of land. Right? They're, they're, they're doing, yeah, they're doing a lot of stuff mm -hmm. to take over. So, uh, I mean, they've bought up a bunch of Africa, like, and, and they're in South America. Like, they are expanding, but not militarily. So the question's like, okay, if we were an anarchist nation tomorrow, I don't say nation, but an anarchist territory tomorrow, mm -hmm. um, like, what would China want out of us? There's no, there's no infrastructure to collect taxes, so they couldn't come take over the bureaucracy of tax collection. They could, they could come in and say, we're going to force you to do stuff, but they would have to bring the bureaucracy and infrastructure with them, right? Um, which I, I, I don't know would go well. I guess they could nuke some cities and say, like, you have to agree. Um, I, maybe, and, and maybe in that case, an anarchist society does need some sort of large, like a deterrent against large governments. I don't know, but I don't, I don't think it's that easy. I don't think it's that easy to come over and like to go take over a, an entire geographical region that is a peaceful anarchist region that's like self-sustaining that's you have to remember without the tax of a government and i don't mean just their taxes but i mean without the the resource drain on a government society is much more prosperous so you've got a very prosperous society do like with no apparatus designed for a central authority to collect taxes or do anything there is no there is no like every time you buy something it you know computers go to the state somewhere and like they they know your sales taxes there's no income there's no like irs there's no system of reporting there's not an apparatus to take over they would have to build it and i don't know i don't like i'm not saying they wouldn't want to do that and they wouldn't try but i don't know that it's as straightforward as just you know we send some troops into your city and tell you to obey i don't okay. think that that's how they would go about it though even if state or no state here, I think a foreign power would probably use um, fiscal means right. to That's take over doing. instead. Yeah, uh, and digital means. I, I I honestly don't think we're at a point where uh, physical warfare is necessary to take over another nation. Right. China is. I mean, I other than I guess you count Hong Kong or Taiwan, maybe or something. But they they never invaded anybody. Like. You have to look at what they're actually doing if you want to imagine that scenario, cheeky mayor. Because, you know, what would China do, like, if they wanted Switzerland? Like, Switzerland doesn't have a standing army. Um, what would they do if they want South Africa? Like, they are doing it. They, like, go in there, they buy up whole ports and start shipping companies. And they send Chinese people over there to get citizenship and start a business and fund them and give them resources. And they give free classes in Mandarin to the police in Cape Town. Like that's how China does it. And you can't say the South African army could fight off China. Like they can't even keep, keep the trucks running, you know? So, right. so, uh, you know, if we were an anarch, if America was anarchist, um, 
it seems more likely China would be trying to sell us laptops. Like, like they, would, they wouldn't want to take us over. We'd just be well, another I mean, tax They might fund. want to financially take us over, but without the centralization, it's actually difficult. Like, like government centralized things. So when things are centralized, and they also give you monopolies, it's actually easier. Like, if China, let's just use Twitter as an example. Like, if China gets to do what they want on Twitter, and there's, like, right now a lot of people consider Twitter a near monopoly, right? I mean, there's other places that you can go. Um, and we can have a separate argument about why that is with Twitter. But, like, if China controls the narrative on Twitter, well, that goes a long way to getting what they want. Like, they don't. They don't need to do anything else. I do want to say though, I'm not, I'm not of the mindset that an anarchist society. I think w one of the problems is that one of the problems that has happened in the U.S. is that we have not been, we do not jealously guard our liberties and our individual rights. We're not actually aggressive enough in defense of our liberties, and so I don't actually think that an anarchist society should like get out the mandolin and sing kumbaya and not worry about like aggressive foreign actors like i do think there needs to be there needs to be the ability to retaliate um and defend yourself because there are there are evil governments there are plenty of people in the world who would want to do you harm and i think you know for too long in the us we didn't we haven't been guarding our liberties and finally some people are going, hey, wait a minute, we've lost too many of them, but it's kind of too late. We should have been a lot more petty about guarding our liberties 200 years ago, right? And aggressive about it um, because it would have been a lot easier. Now we're at this point where I'm not even sure, I'm not even sure what the right way to do it is, right? Because it's so far gone. Separate. Right, separate, but you can't, but you then it. you have to fight. You have to separate and be armed. Because you can't separate and then you assume that armed. they're going to leave you alone. We've saw what happened with the <laughs> the, with the war of Southern independence or whatever you're calling Keith, right? Yeah, like war for... you can't separate and assume that they're going to leave you alone. You do actually have to. There's nothing wrong with violence provided that it's it's in self defense. In fact, it's moral when it's in self defense. So we can't you can't turn to you can't turn to like pacifism and hope that no one attacks yeah, you. you. Like to... I don't think that works. And that's okay. the leftist anarchy version, right? Just the kumbaya version, which won't work. I don't think that. Will yeah, work. I don't know. I don't know exactly. Yeah, maybe they also seem to outlaw private property, so I can't. Well, maybe they want an, an entire global version of that. Is the problem because then they then the argument of national defense doesn't even matter, like because everyone's doing it. The problem with that is right. that. Um, uh, I don't think it's sustainable. I think a hierarchy is going to form. <laughs> well, hierarchies do form, but hierarchies don't mean monopolies on force. Hierarchies are all over the place. Right? Every company has a hierarchy. Families have hierarchies. Like friends, friend we groups see, sometimes have hierarchies. Sports teams. Uh, we see the competition buy out the competition all the time, taking more and more of the market share. So, but that, like, but that doesn't. But that that is <laughs> self that is self regulating. That can't it can't exist forever. I mean, the only monopolies that tend to exist are half government sanction because like I, either it exists and 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 is good for people like prices go low, like, you know, they, they have to they have to keep their prices low to prevent competition from coming in. But you can always like competition does come in and things do change. Right. Like 
you could make that argument about, you know, one technology and then you know, 20 years later, there's a different technology that ob that just makes the first technology obsolete. Like things do change. So that the idea that like suddenly we're going to be under a monopoly uh, because people are free, I think is more naive to think that it's going to happen in anarchy than, than with governments because it monopolies absolutely happen with government help. In fact, like they happen faster and more easily with government help. That's, you know, you have, that's why you have Zuckerberg begging for regulation. The barriers to entry for competing with someone like Facebook are government barriers to entry. Well, many of them, not all of them, but like, this is how large corporations, if they have access, they will have resources. So if they have access to the monopoly uh, on force through government contacts, don't think they won't use it. Like, of, of course they will. And they'll use it to get monopolies. So the, the best protection against, mono against monopolies is saying, actually, no one has monopoly on force. You can't, you, there's no, there is no authority you can go to to make it illegal for your competitor to compete with you or, or, or make it, you have to do X, Y, and Z in order to be able to enter the market or follow these regulations or like, you can't do that. So if, if you're actually worried about monopolies, government should scare you way more than anarchy. I don't know. I don't have that much trust in people because I don't either. either either side of that, though, because I don't see that uh, someone, a company that forms a monopoly won't use the most unethical or dirty handed tactics to take out their competition. Uh, if that's, that's why you need force protection. So you're making the same point. That's it's impossible to have that. a monopoly without force. You can't have it. But then, and, and government is the normal way to do that. But I mean, like, if a company for is has its force and they take more and more power, they merge with other companies, they buy other companies, some competition wants to form, and they go in and they kill them all. I don't see how that. No one would do business with that company anymore. Like, it, if, if how do you if, have a like, choice if they became a monopoly? <laughs> like, if they got enough power, <laughs> it's only but, economic like, power, and you never let them get to that. Like, it's. Imagine trying to amass if, if Zuckerberg started buying tanks and arming people, like everyone would be like, fuck that. Like people would get seriously scared and they, they might start paying Gab to start building an army. Like that's not, people don't put up with that. Like you can't secretly build an arsenal and an army and then like march in magically and take over. That doesn't happen. You can't get well, away with it. That sounds incredibly overt, but what if it's subterfuge? And then also, I think what kind of subterfuge, like you know, hiring an assassin or freaking setting off a a poison in their you know <laughs> sure. office. I, sure, like, I guess you could do all that, but you could do all that now. All of that could be done now, and it's easier now because you can bribe the government to do it in the light of day. Right. So, like, it, I would rather Zuckerberg have to poison or assassinate someone than bribe a senator. Because bribing a senator is much lower risk. It's pretty easy to do. Uh, and he gets way better, better bang for the buck. If he has to actually go hire an assassin, mm. <laughs> I mean, by I'd the like way, that to have to be his course of action. Because someone will take him out if he gets caught. You should keep in mind that the assassins that the government has are, are legal, quote unquote legal. So the government has assassins. If you worry about assassins, that's the government and, and they're not actually responsible for their assassination. 
in an anarchist society, the assassins wouldn't wouldn't have protection of government. Try it as an experiment. Try to find a monopoly that doesn't have the government behind it. I've tried. I can't find one. Some yeah, somebody said that once about twenty years ago to me, and I spent a year looking for one. There isn't one. Every time you think you found one, then you figure out there is one. And and you see, you know what what happens in a free society with competition is somebody comes along and does it better. You know, I don't I don't know if you probably don't remember AOL Messenger, but you remember Congress wanted to get involved. That's like a horrendous monopoly. We can't have AOL's got an absolute monopoly. They have a stranglehold on the text messaging, computer to computer text messaging. And everybody's up in arms and Congress is having meetings. We've got to do something about this monopoly. And Congress never actually did anything. And then texting of cell phones came out. Not that many people even remember AOL. Do you remember AOL Messenger? That was a monopoly that everybody was scared of. They were demanding the government get involved. But it, it, if you just wait, great... if the... go ahead. Okay. If you just wait saying, a little a bit, like, you can have a monopoly. Form. Uh, yeah, right. Rockefeller, the, the the trains, the the supposed. How did those monopolies? Standard Oil. He did a great show about Standard Oil, and like I'd like to watch that. Write that down. It's he talks about the facts of it, and like and and he's held up. You know, Standard Oil is held up as this example of this horrible monopoly, and it's just not true. It's just not true. Like prices dropped. He like massively. He paid his workers better than anyone else. Like it was. It was great. It was great while it while it had large market share, which I think it got to seventy percent or something. But like it did get to huge market share for a brief period of time. Like it it wasn't a scourge. Like it wasn't this horrible thing that people had to deal with. And it, and it happened because it was a good idea. <laughs> yeah, he started using oil to do stuff that other people weren't doing. He figured out better ways to use the byproducts and whatever, and started creating other things. And it wasn't just oil he was selling; it was other stuff. And it was like. You know, it's the the boogeyman of a free market monopoly is a creation. It's a myth, and it's mostly Hollywood's myths. But it's like it's this myth. It's a it's a leftist myth that that the free market produces monopoly, and Mr. Burns sits at the top of it without any help from government, and and takes over. And I'm not saying that I know for certain. Like I'm I'm 99.9% sure that that would never happen in an anarchy society. But it happens now. I'm 100% certain that it happens now. So, like, I'm not. Can we, can we take the risk and be like, hey, it can't be worse. This is getting pretty bad, and America's been the best experiment we've got for a government, and it's still getting pretty bad. Like, what's the harm in trying? Is the worst case we end up back in the situation with a government? Like, all right. Well, then we have this conversation again. <laughs> Try something else. I just assume government or no government, private or whatever, that power corrupts. Power does corrupt, but the problem, I mean, the pro I mean, I've run businesses. The problem with that is everyone thinks that the CEO of a business and the founder of a business is in this massive position of power, which in some sense they are. They do have economic power over, yeah, I guess, their employees or whatever, but like not really. They need, like, you have to please your customers. The market is brutal. Competition is brutal. 
innovation that like moves things forward is brutal. Like it's not actually easy to do a consistent, a really consistent job of providing something that people voluntarily pay for over and over again and keep people happy that want to work for you. And like, all that. it's not a, it's not an easy thing to do. So it's, it's much easier to stand up and say, I'll give you free stuff if you vote for me. Like that's how the power mongers, the people who are like power hungry go into politics. They don't start companies. And if they do, they rarely succeed. Like the people who start companies, even if they have, even if they're power hungry, they, they, they are, their boss is the public, it's their customers. And if their customers don't like them, unless they buy a Senator, they're fucked. Like they can't, there's no way out. You, you, you die. You die. If you don't make your customers happy, your business dies. If you don't make your employees happy, they move to Google or somewhere else. Like it's not, you're not a tyrant when you're a head, head of a company. In fact, it often feels like you work for everyone else. That's what the, like running a company psychologically often feels like the entire world is your boss. It often sucks. You're not, you're not in this catbird seat of being able to just do whatever you want willy nilly because everything you do has an effect. And if you, if you don't constantly please your customers and your employees and everyone and your business partners and everyone else, like you fail and business is not, it's not easy to succeed. And I think the only people that look at business and say it's easy to succeed are people who've never done business. Like it's not easy. I don't like Mark Zuckerberg, but what he did is not easy. It's not easy to do that. It's extremely impressive and it's rare that someone can pull that off. I would I never say that it's easy to succeed in business. That was never my stance ever. Well, I guess my <laughs> Just point to be is clear. You, don't, you don't have like, you're not wielding this ton of power. There's not like a magic scepter, right? Even, even Elon Musk barely, like almost went bankrupt doing his, and, and by the way, he's in bed with government in many ways. Like, so he's not even a great free market example, but like people, it's not, it's not super easy to do. And it's not, and it's not, I won't say it's easy because I know you're not saying easy. It's not, you don't, it's, you're not a tyrant. You're not a dictator. Even if you own a hundred percent of the shares and there's no board and it's just you, you're still not a dictator because you can't get away with doing anything that you like, like if your competitor does a better job, you're dead. If they do a better job recruiting people, getting uh, deals with partners, selling products, you're dead. I do have a question about this though. So you're talking about business without state. I get that. Where does, where does the standardized money come from? And I, this is a real practical question that I want yeah, to know. I, I think that's a great question. I think one of the problems, one of the biggest enablers of government force is government monopoly on money. Right. And they, and they are, let's make no bones about it. Like the banking system is in bed with the government, the, you know, the oligarchs are in bed with the government. So we're not, we don't have, you can't actually have a free market without free money. And we don't have free money. So, and I'm not free money. I mean, a free market in money. So I would say free market comes, free market in money is whatever. If a bank wants to issue a currency, the bank issues the currency. Right now, what would happen in, in practicality is at least in 2021, as I think you'd see, you'd probably see a few different cryptos become semi-standard. Just like if you go to the store, you can use Apple Pay or this or that. You'd probably have a few different options for paying things and people would take different currencies and, you know, 
there'd probably be exchanges for different things. If you maybe high ticket items, you know, were more Bitcoin and less Ethereum or whatever it was, and you had to do your exchange. But you know, I people would work it out. It's not like I, do I know exactly what the currency would look like? No, but I know that it would be better and it would be out of any central authority's control. So they couldn't just print it whenever they wanted unless that was the currency that you chose, which I don't think would do well in the free market. But theoretically, I could say, I've got a printing press. I'm starting a currency and try and convince people to use it. I don't think they would. Um, but like <laughs> you would have pressure, right? And one, one point that the socialist in this book made, which I actually adamantly agree with is they they're the socialists are very upset about the price of labor and they use this word that i hate all the time about the capitalist exploiting the labor workers right um and there's a lot of resentment that comes through when they talk about it and they you know they they use words like parvenu and and stuff to 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 be yeah a condescending towards people who've made money right but they make a they made a really good point and i forget who it was but the point was actually because banks are not a free market and because money is not a free market it actually does distort the um the price of wages relative to interest rates for for capital and resources and so i think they're right actually i think there is quote exploitation in that sense built into the system because money is not a free market right um and, you know, that's that's an area that I think I don't see the right really talk about a whole lot. But in the, but the leftists, these leftists anyway, these these anarchist leftists that we're reading, we're, they're 100 percent right about that. Because there's not a free market in money, it does actually have a negative impact on uh, the difference between what a, quote, capitalist can do and get loans and buy capital versus the wage rates. The wage rates are um, that market is basically cleared. Right. There's there's as much. Uh, there's, there's no, there's as much labor as there, as people join the labor force. Anyone can join the labor force. There's no barrier to entry. It drives wages right down to the edge of where they should be. But capital, that's not true. Capital is at a premium because it's controlled. So essentially the same thing is like, uh, a company that had a company store and only paid you in that currency, you could only buy from them. If you wanted, right. But, but. If, what I'm saying if, is that that's essentially a monopoly on currency. That's an example of it versus it, that it, sure, that being sure. the only option for work, um, essentially. Right. But if you were to have two or three or four or five or six computers with com competitions for money, uh, then you wouldn't necessarily have to use the money that by the people who are more exploitative, I suppose. Um, yeah, well, I was actually talking about like banking, like having a bank is a monopoly and like you can't like so interest rates are are heavily controlled and like nothing's nothing's free market. The, the rate at which money is lent out is not free market determined. Um, so like that changes the calculation for the cost of labor versus the cost of capital. Right. And I don't know what that would look like in a free market, but it very well might mean that that capital is more expensive than than labor compared to what it is now. And maybe you'd have more. I don't know what it would look like. But in the case where you have like companies issuing their own dollars, like I'm gonna, I'm GE and I'm paying you in GE bucks, right? And Keith is is Apple and he's paying you in Apple bucks. That'd probably be an exchange that was like, 
an exchange rate between GE Bucks and Apple Bucks. And like, I, I don't think that kind of thing would last long because we're so interconnected as a society now that it would be annoying to everyone and no one would like it. And if, and if Apple offered me a job and said like, you can come work for, for Alex's company, which issues this very standard, which, which pays you in Bitcoin, which everyone accepts, or you can work for Apple, which pays you in Apple bucks. I'd be like, right, screw Apple. I'm going to go work for Alex. So like, she's like, well, I don't want to have to deal with that. Right. So like that, I don't think that the inconvenience wouldn't really last no matter how people, you know, no matter how would... tried to do that. Or there would be like a third party. I mean, I just bought a, uh, I bought a t-shirt from the UK with PayPal. They converted right. my US dollars to Euro or whatever it was that I paid um, for it. You know, so you could have a third party provider who would be willing to do business with Apple bucks and GE, whatever, you know, so right. Yeah, if I move to another country and I need to convert the money I'm making right now, they would. There's someone to do that. Uh, right. So it's it's not as if we don't have like an idea of exchange already. Sure, and there's like a shit ton of cryptocurrency exchanges right now. Where like Dogecoin, which is a joke, can be used to do like so. You can do, and anyone and their mother can come up with stuff. Um, if I were I to wanna... invest in a in a cryptocurrency, it actually would be Dogecoin. Would you do Doge? <laughs> well, there's. Shiba Inu is it's a good logo. Um, I just want to address something in chat. Uh, Ross says capital is not free, but labor is. What do you get paid in seashells? I'm not sure what you're meaning there, but capital is less of a free market than labor. Labor is actually not a free market either because there's government intervention in unions and there's minimum wage and like a bunch of regulations about hiring people. So government or so labor is not completely a free market either. Capital is in no way a free market. Uh, look at what's happening to any of these cryptocurrency companies who try and do anything like they've got five different agencies, you know, throwing people in jail, banging down their doors, telling them you can't do this. It's got to be regulated in that way, blah, 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 blah. You can't just start it. Like Keith can't start a bank tomorrow without massive, massive government involvement and approval and everything else. So yeah, money is, and, you know, money is extremely controlled. Um, capital is, is can't even hardly can't even run a small bank anymore. That's why the banks are consolidating because the government, you know, you, you know, there's, there's only a couple banks left, right? PNC yeah. buy up everything. Um, yeah. If in a free market for money, uh, I don't think the dollar would do very well. <laughs> I'm like, that wouldn't take very long to fail. It's failing anyway, but what, you know, like gold, there might be some gold exchanges and, Bitcoin. Someone, so, someone US asked, dollar, which is a bigger joke, whole... Dogecoin or the US dollar, Keith? <laughs> I, Do I don't opinion? know. But the way they print <laughs> I it, know. I would no. have to say the US dollar. <laughs> I would say the US dollar is a bigger joke. Yeah, I would. Yeah, the US dollar, because I, I think as far as, I don't know enough about Dogecoin to say, but the US dollar, they can just add more dollars anytime they want. Um, and they have been. I don't think you can do that with Dogecoin, right? No. You can't. Dogecoin has a is a mining limit for every year. Yeah, so it's it's know. the the mining and it's interesting like Bitcoin they use the word mine. It's like gold. So gold's a good one because it's hard to get and you can't really you can't inflate. You can't have inflation very quickly. Inflation's limited because it's hard to get out. And by inflation I mean increasing the money supply. The the financial definition of inflation you you 
you can't inflate the money supply very quickly with gold or Bitcoin or Dogecoin. They, you know, those, they're artificially limiting it, but it is limited. They, right. they did come up with the method of limited. Dollar, we no longer have a limit um, right. ever since they went off the gold standard. So, you know, what is the dollar worth? It's nothing. It's a promise. So it, it, it's the equivalent of in an anarchist society, if I started a bank and I called it Keith dollars um, and I said, you know, here's a dollar, just a piece of paper. Um, well, the dollar just start exchanging them. Use, yeah, the dollar's backed by a promise to use force against the population of the United States in the future. All right, that's that's what it's backed by. So when they <laughs> when they print more dollars, they're devaluing the current supply. And when you buy a bond, they promise to hold a gun to somebody who's probably not born yet, head, and get it back and give you your interest. Like that's what it is. It's force. It's like the dollar is force, definitely. Yeah. It it wouldn't exist. So anyway, my point was the dollar would fail pretty quickly. Yeah. It's interesting way, this kind of turned into definitely more Definitely it would be crypto. Like it could be that we have you gold coins or gold that like uh, there's an argument to be made that crypto is because it's not backed by anything, um, is ultimately doomed to fail as well. And like I don't I'm not trying to have that argument right now. All I'm saying is people would invent something. Right. At the very least, you could probably pay in gold. <laughs> it's interesting. Right we, we talk about failures, the Constitution not to follow. But like it says in the Constitution that the federal government is allowed, not allowed to make anything other than gold and silver coin money. <laughs> like, I, I don't actually know what the justification for going off the gold standard is, but it's unconstitutional. Like they didn't want this fiat currency. They were they were against it. Um, we don't follow. That's just another piece we don't follow. I I had uh, high, pulled up something when Alex, when you brought up the people thing, the problem back to the anarchy, <laughs> um, the people problem. The the guy. It's a chapter twenty one. I forgot his name, but the, the attorney that was talking about. There's no such thing. You know, the people always in charge. He said the fact is there's no such thing as a government of law and not people. Law is an amalgam of contradictory rules and counter rules expressed in inherently vague language that can yield a legitimate legal argument for any desired conclusion. For this reason, as long as the law remains a state monopoly, it will always reflect the political ideology of those basically in power. So I think the point that you made about you're worried about power and that's a reason to not want anarchy, like that's a reason to be scared of government too. Oh, I 100% agree with that. I 100% agree with that. I believe I don't want the government to have too much power either. So like on any level, like okay. either. I mean, so, that's why I said at the so, beginning of this, a balance to me is best. The By the way, someone that in the chat this is, guy is, brought is, up in the, go ahead. Go ahead. I just, um, I just the concept that he brought up is that, uh, let me finish this and then, yeah, yeah. um, sorry with the delay, we're dealing with the zoom delay people. Um, and, and trying to talk too much, I guess, me. <laughs> um, the, the problem that I had never really occurred to me because I was kind of always a rule of law guy. Like I spent two years working for convention of states trying to get the constitution better. Um, you always think, well, you need a, it's a government of law. We want to get back to a government of law. And his point, which I never heard before, is that there's no such thing. It's impossible to have a government of law because it's always people that administer it. 
And the, the laws, the vagueness of the laws and the ability of a, a decent lawyer to present a perfectly sound legal argument for any conclusion, like that's a lawyer's job is to say, I'm the prosecutor, I'm the defense attorney, I'm a contract law, whatever, civil attorney. Um, my job is to go find a legal argument for this case. So it's like a pre, predefined conclusion, find a legal basis for it. It turns out a good lawyer can do that. It's no problem. Uh, a Supreme Court justice can do it using previous Supreme Court decisions. Like they can come the to last, any conclusion the they want. Essay? Uh, yeah. John Hasnas essay? The myth of I the rule of the law? name, yeah. Okay, you did. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's the one I'm quoting from. Yeah, okay, I just want to make sure. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the myth of the rule of law. So yeah, that quote was from that chapter. I, I forgot his name. I'm looking, I did it on Kindle, so I just have the highlights here. It's just this chapter okay. 21. Um, what, what he's saying is that the flexibility of the law, like the interpretation, is a feature. And, and that astounded me. I went back and like, I went back and read that paragraph three times. Like, that's an interesting idea. It's a feature of law that it can be interpreted however you want. And the reason for that is because there's no such thing as a government of law or rule of law. It's always people. So there's always judges, there's always lawyers, there's politicians in charge, there's police, and it all goes back to people. Um, that's an interesting argument for anarchy that I never heard before. But, and, yeah. and it's true. And you're, you're, you're bringing up the power, being scared of power a couple of times. So, so the concept of the government has to do it because of this problem doesn't work. It actually makes it worse. Um, in, in the anarchy, like we've been talking a long time about national defense. That's a tough one. Most people, if you bring up the idea of, you know, does the government have to do it? They bring up the, yeah, but what about roads? Um, and I just remind them, well, you know, the, the guys, they went to Philadelphia and wrote the constitution, like federal government didn't have roads then. How did they get there? South Carolina. Um, they had roads. Uh, I, I got a little, little short story. Like when this first hit me when I was like 19 and I moved to another state and I rented a house with a bunch of students going to college. And we're in the house and, uh, you know, our trash can was like filled up. And we're like, they won't get the trash. So remember, I like asked the neighbor, um, you know, our trash, they're not getting our trash. And he's like, well, who, who's your trash company? I'm like, what do you mean trash company? I lived in New Jersey. They don't have this thing as a trash company. He goes, well, yeah, there's like a couple different ones. I use these and he's like rattled off three different companies to get your trash. Now, like, what do you mean? The government doesn't get your trash? Like I thought, <laughs> and that like got me on this whole long thing. Like, does the government have to do this? So a lot of people, you have to start with the trash collection because they never heard of that. Um, and I thought, well, this is crazy. This isn't going to work. We have to pay money. So then we like called up a trash company. We went with the cheapest one, a bunch of students. Um, and it turns out like they came twice a week and you didn't have to put your can out to the curb. They like know your house because they go there twice a week. The guy has a, they have this big burly guy. He's got a thing over his shoulder. Sorry about this story so long, but I like this as an anarchist example. He's got a big can over his shoulder and he goes into the back and the thing little scrawny guys like me were doing, we dump in the can. He just dumps the whole three days worth of trash in the thing and then goes to the next door. And when he's full, he goes out to the truck. Like that's what happens when a private company does it. And 
I didn't check, but I bet they do it cheaper. And we went the cheapest of the three. And people said, oh, I don't like those guys. You know, they don't, they don't put the lid back on the can. I'm okay with that. <laughs> It, it, so, so the reason I brought that point up is that when you start to talk about this idea, does the government have to do something? I don't think starting with national defense is a good tactic with most people. Trash collection in the roads might be an easier one. Money is kind of in between. Like, do you really have to have a monopoly of money? I do have and a question for me, on, this whole process. Go ahead. On the like, if you're talking about different levels, like, what about local force, like? I walk down the street here in Phoenix, and one of the reasons why I'm not attacked is because a police car drives up and down the street regularly. It's a deterrent. Not necessarily is, is are they arresting anyone or shooting anyone, but just seeing them as a presence with their, you know, police sign and everything. And I pay taxes to get that. Either way, I would have to pay privately. Either way, I'm paying for it. Like, if it's private or not, um, but it's distributed. Yeah, it's I, I would argue that the, the, a, a better defense is that enough people are armed, um, as far as that one goes. In a private society, you would have some security driving around. So you see a place like there New are, York. By the way, there like, is really private security the in communities. That like that is we have our community has a private truck that drives. Oh, I don't think the guy does anything but drive around with the label on the side to decur deter crime. It's part of the HOA fee. And I'm not even I'm not even um, part of the HOA. But like I'm like near the rest of the HOA people and so drives around. I don't you know I, I think you might find do. Well here's an example. We were just at the uh, Free State project in the campground in New Hampshire. So like they don't want the police in there. Um, New Hampshire is an open carry state. Uh, so yeah, there's guys walking around with the AR-15 over their shoulder and, and open carrying sidearms like all over the place. Like you don't need a cop. And they, they did have security, but I never saw them. They didn't have a car. Um, anybody that, that meant harm in that place, you'd walk in like in five minutes later, turn around and leave. Um, so I, I think the, the concept of um, privately private people having arms provides that protection at least as much as security. A security guy, a lot of them aren't armed and that's good enough. All you need is like somebody with eyes and a camera and a cell phone to call the guy with the gun. That does perfectly fine security in, in a lot of cases. So I would argue, I don't think it's the police. It's certainly not the government. You don't need the government for that. And there's there's examples everywhere. And in the United States, I don't think it is the government that's deterring it. It isn't here. Florida, there's over 2 million people have concealed carry permits in Florida. So then a lot of people you, say like- How do you account ahead. for the fact that in areas, in cities where they've defunded the police, crime went up? Because they also didn't allow other citizens to have guns. Yeah, what I mean, Chicago- Where did they do that? Chicago, Portland, yeah, Minneapolis. Chicago. That's where oh, they did that. Guess I'll what? They're not doing that in Orlando or Miami. <laughs> doing that in Miami, I can tell you that. Half the but people walking down the street have a gun in their purse. They're one vote away from doing it in Phoenix. 
one city council vote away from doing it and why Arizona has extremely liberal uh, gun laws, Phoenix doesn't. <laughs> Maybe it won't carry, matter there. I used to carry in Arizona. You can do open carry. I think I had an Arizona permit as well. But can you carry into Phoenix? I don't remember. I it, You can, but also you're probably not going to be very successful at it. Like you're going to be stopped. You're going to be molested by the police, which I find like, you know, like I'm I'm not saying I, I'm waiting for that, too. Yeah, exactly. See, that's the thing. I'm literally asking you guys what you think, not not because I'm trying to make a point. So just to be clear, I'm, well, I'm not doing that subtly or whatever. I really wanted to know your opinions on these things. Well, I happen to live in a town that doesn't have police. So I, I, I don't know. We don't have police. There's no police here. Um, we'd have to call the sheriff and a deputy would come, but you don't see him very often. Um, in, in Florida, I know more about Florida, but I can compare like Florida to New Jersey uh, or compare Florida, compare the United States to the UK. Um, in Florida, I, I have a friend that's a uh, private investigator and he also was, did investigation for the county. Like in Florida, people don't break into homes at night when people are home. And that's pretty much true everywhere in the United States. Like that don't happen. Um, so like, like one stat, I don't recall the numbers, but it's somewhere like, it's, it's rare, 5% or something. It's very rare. Most home break-ins in the United States happen between like 10 and 2 p.m. Like that's when people break into houses in the United States. In the UK, it's the opposite. The, the most common time to break into house is like 8 p.m. to 11 p.m. People are sitting in a living room because nobody has a gun. Um, so that's a good time. You break in, you get their jewelry, you ask them where their money stashed, tie them up. Like that's when people break in, in places like that. So I think it's, it's, it's a combination. So a place that observes the right to keep and bear arms, which is certainly a tenant of anarchist society. Um, I don't think you'd have that problem walking down the street because somebody that tried to jump you, unless you're, completely alone and no one else around um the more people around the better off you are and, and people say people around here say that all the time i live in a place where a total stranger sitting in a bar you chatting with a half an hour and he'll just casually mention he's got a glock on him like like that don't happen in new jersey but in florida i i, I doubt it's possible to go into a restaurant where i live and not have somebody in there armed probably never happens unless it's a tiny place or a grocery store. Like I'm not worried about a mass shooting on a grocery store. Some old lady will pull a 45 out of her purse. <laughs> That's the culture. <laughs> Guys, we've gone for two and a half hours. I, th I think maybe we should wrap it up. Unless yeah. does anyone have any final thoughts on this book? Since I was, I was going to ask you to, if, um, because I think you're the best one I know that's equipped to do it, what would be your, like, if, is it possible? And if so, could you give a two minute pitch for anarchy? Is it possible? How would you do that? If it's possible. Well, yeah. If it is, of course it's possible. I don't, I don't even understand the question. Like, yeah. Um, if somebody said, you know, that'll never work and you had a short time to tell them, what would you say? I'm not sure what I would say. I would and I'm, say, I'm I would just say, getting to this. 
Yeah, I know. I think I would. I think the major point I would make is you cannot convince someone in two minutes. But I think I would say, look, stop comparing it to a utopian ideal of what you think uh, the a limited government minarchist state would be, and compare it to what we have now. And like now doesn't work. And we we definitely know. I mean, m most people who would talk to me about this are not statists. So they they're people who at least want to move, you know, in, in a minarchy or libertarian direction. And, and usually my, my answer is like, actually I'm on board with like, let's do your thing first. Like I'm, I'm okay with that. Like, let's do your thing first. I will, I'm happy to like, let's, let's be on a trajectory together to see how small we can make government. Right. And if you win and if, if we get down to the point where we've got national defense and some other thing, and like, it's that small. And we still can't convince people that that could be also taken over. I mean, I feel like I've done, <laughs> I've done a pretty good job. Like that's okay. So in, instead of you know, I, people push back on this this idea like it can't possibly work. It's like, well, we live in a state of anarchy normally with each other. Like as Michael Malice would say, anarchy is a relationship. So like we don't. We don't need a government. We don't need to have a third party interfering with our interaction. I'm not afraid if we were in person, obviously we're online right now, but like, I wouldn't be afraid that suddenly Alex would strangle me. Alex isn't going to strangle me. Like I don't need a third party to make sure that Alex doesn't strangle me and tax us both so that Alex doesn't strangle me. Like I'm not gonna strangle Alex. She's not gonna strangle me. Like mostly we're, we're in a, we're in a, we exist in a relationship with anarchy to one another which is just voluntary agreement. We just voluntarily want to have a conversation. We don't wish each other harm. Like that's the end. And that, and most of our relationships are relationships of anarchy, right? Where we don't have a third party mediating the relationship. And so, you know, I don't, I don't know that there's a silver bullet to like, this is, this is why anarchy would work. And, and one of the problems, and this is the thing I'll, I'll paraphrase this cause I couldn't find the quote I was looking for, but it was earlier in the conversation. I said, Beverly gets mad at me when I say this, but this is the issue. Whenever anyone says, how would X, Y, and Z work in a free market? My, my answer to that is you're missing the point. If I could explain how X, Y, and Z would work in a free market, then one person could conceptualize how a thing could work in a free market and implement it. Therefore, I could be a central planner. Therefore, we might as well just central plan it. The whole point of a free market is we don't know, but it always turns out better because we do, what we do know is that you can't centrally plan the lives of 330 million people just in the US. You can't centrally plan their lives and figure out exactly what their preferences are and their desires and what, what they value more than, than one thing over another, or what prices should be. Like, you can't actually plan any of that centrally. You need people voluntarily interacting, coming up with their own ways of being, and you have multiple solutions usually to the same problem because different people want different things. That's how it would work. And that's, that's the kind of stock answer for everything. How would roads work? I don't know. I shouldn't know how roads would work. I know they can. I've been to places where there are toll roads that have little things that, you know, they, you, when you drive on a thing, it tracks where you are. And like, 
that's one way. I've also been to communities where private private residence communities where they all chip in and pay for the road in front of their house because that's what they want. Like, I don't know. I don't know how it would work. But the point is not knowing how it will work. It, like, that is the point. You're not supposed to know how it works. But what I do know is that nothing gives you the right to force anyone else to do anything at some point. And just because you vector through voting that and, and add a patina of legitimacy to it doesn't mean that you're not still forcing someone at gunpoint to do what you want. So to me, it's just basically a moral question. It's you have a right to exist. You have a right to not be aggressed upon. Um, and if that's the goal in creating a society, you necessarily start to look towards libertarianism and monarchy. And I don't, I don't even think it's really worth arguing the difference between minarchism and anarchy until we're at minarchism because right now you need a license to get to be a barber so we're we're way too far away from anything resembling a free market and by the way right. i don't care if people agree with me you're allowed to not agree in a free market and go start a commune in a free market like that's cool i just like i'm really just looking for people who want to be left alone so and voluntarily interact, not alone. Voluntarily interact. So, <sighs> all right. That that was too long, and it wasn't even a great answer. Sorry. No, no, it is a good. I I uh, thanks. And I've never tried to do that. I've never tried to argue for anarchy. I didn't know enough to ever try. But I, I definitely get your point about moving in that direction. Like I said in the beginning, I've been moving that way my entire adult life. Um, and and I'm far more familiar with presenting a you know kind of small l libertarian sort of government to a you know a staunch Republican conservative you know the government needs to run this that and the other thing but not these other things right. and liberal it's the same argument to me they just have a different list of things they want to run but they agree on we have to borrow four trillion a year and we have to run your life in these ways, but not these other ways. And it's a secondary thing when you talk about, okay, well, we want to control your social life, but not your economic life or whatever. However you want to, I don't actually care about that part. It doesn't even make any difference to me which one I'm talking to, to present a yeah. libertarian. I find the moral So you have to do that first. So, yeah. It's so my question was really, and I, I, I didn't ask it um, completely, but but I was thinking more like, okay, you got a guy that's a staunch small L libertarian. How do you get him to the next step? You know, how are you going to be explaining to small L libertarian first, and then you argue? And you're like, yeah. look, once we're, we're already not doing there, roads, we're not doing healthcare, we're not doing barbers. Look at all this stuff we're not doing. You know what? Let's let's not do fire. Let's have fire insurance be private. Okay, great. Now, hey, how about how about we not do this area of policing? Okay, awesome. Like you just you move yeah. them incrementally. And I think it's radical ideas are too they're by their nature are too far removed from where we are for people to wrap their head around the possibility that they could happen. Right. And there is some rational fear about crazy radical ideas because sometimes when people have radical crazy revolutions, uh you end up with Stalin, right? <laughs> like often. You end up with some like, you know, you, you had you had plenty of examples in the in the 20th and century and beforehand where you ended up with just horrific, horrific 
governments that were built on some sort of ideal. Um, and I would argue that the problem isn't ideals. The problem is bad ones. Um, like if bad ideas do lead to bad governments. So um, anyway, can we do, I just want to read a couple super chats really quickly. Um, Brian says, any thoughts on the, about the dual legal systems instituted through Sharia courts within England over the last decade? I don't know anything about it. Do you guys? No. Yeah, um, there's, there's areas in England where there's communities of, of uh, immigrants, Muslim immigrants that are now UK citizens that the police don't go in. Um, they're implementing their own government within England. Now, whether or not you want to let that happen, but yeah, there's parts of London. And I've heard that. I don't know the details. Um, from an anarchist perspective, that's fine. Now, I don't know if the people of England want to allow that. <laughs> And the Sharia law version of it, uh, you just say, well, that's not what I would want. I wouldn't want to live in that area. If you put a wall around them um, and they just kept to themselves, I, I guess I would say leave them alone, as horrible as it is. If I knew somebody to live there, I might help them get out if I was allowed to go in. Uh, I think it's bad, but if that's what they want to do, and England seems to be okay with that. I don't know why. I don't understand that. But I mean, this is part of why Brexit happened. You know, that's like the number one reason Brexit has happened. But I assume that not everyone in there wants to be part of that, right? Like, if I were in a district, <laughs> I, I would want to be able to appeal to the the UK government and say, uh, "Guys, I don't want to go to Sharia court." Um, I guess I could choose. I, I was thinking, can you choose like going to arbitration or like, is it just like, no, you're on your own. You're in this area and you're going to Sharia court. I don't know that detail, but I, I have read about areas where the police pretty much don't go in uh, communities. Uh, so, you know, the next step from that would be this, this other step, but I don't know. I'm not aware of any that have any kind of restriction on leaving like a, a Muslim living in those areas, it, it is still England. They're UK citizens. Uh, they yeah, could, but the, they could the, but move you can out of that area. A pretty bad argument, right? Like, cause you shouldn't have to leave. Like, you, you can't say like, I'll stop. Like if I just start mm -hmm. beating you up in your house and be like, well, you could leave, you could move. It's like, well, I, <laughs> yeah, you could, but you shouldn't have to, you shouldn't have to move to have your rights not violated. So if, if England is going to pretend to care about individual rights, I don't think they can take that stance. But I don't know the extent that they even they have, care about individual rights anyway. So It's a conflict, I think, from what I understand of it. And again, I'm no expert in this. I've just read a little bit about what's going on. My question on that it's, is what if the, the violation is that someone isn't letting you leave, then where do you go? Yeah, I mean, I I, I, I agree that leaving is a bad approach. If someone's not letting you leave, you got to shoot your way out, I guess. Um, I'm not saying it's good. And I'm believe me, I'm not defending this. I'm just thinking through it from an anarchist society. Carter's brought it up many times. I think it's a great argument that in a free society, um, people are, are allowed to form a little Sharia law community and just leave them alone. Um, if their culture wants that, uh, 
UK has this conflict, and this is this goes back more to the unsafe space kind of thing. That they've got this big conflict between the, their point system. So, okay, their government is about freedom, free society, can't harm others, and you're not allowed to say anything about somebody else's culture. So they've got this conflict where, well, they say that's their culture that you, you know, cut off the arm of a thief or whatever. Um, I, I exaggerated, I don't know. But it's a conflict for them and they're gonna have to work through it. So I think the first time, you know, they put somebody to death for sleeping with somebody else's wife say, or, you know, I don't know, maybe, maybe that'll kind of fall apart. They are still inside the UK. Ross, Ross in chat says only mutual agreed family law in England is not okay with it. So look, if it's just, if it's, you can choose a different mediator through different rules and you both agree, like, I don't, I don't, see that. um, all right. I'll fight you naked says, isn't China taking over large parts of Africa just by economic power? Yes. The answer to that is very short. Yes, they are. Um, they are indeed. Uh, but Africa has been kept down um, predominantly by um, the way that foreign aid is distributed. <laughs> Got a lot of these warlords and problems in Africa. I mean, they, a lot of it can be traced to uh, do-gooders in the West uh, shipping money to warlords. So, and, and one point to make on that, the, the way that they start, the way they do it is they start by sending money. So it is economic. Yeah. So like the president of South Africa might have a new mansion and two more wives on the side because of funding from China. Like that's how they start. And then they buy a shipyard um, and they, and then all the imports for an area through China, this is what they're doing. I happen to know about South Africa. Um, that is what they're doing. And like the next step I mentioned, I think I mentioned early, teach a Mandarin um, for free. Like, like if yeah, they come and here actually, and start that I program, I hope people will object. A lot of, a lot of people in Africa are welcoming the Chinese, just to be clear. I mean, maybe it's hard to imagine, but this is how bad life is there. Like my, my wife's uh, friend was getting, I, I guess this was going around on the internet in China, whatever. Like there's, there's constantly people sending videos from Africa, like Africans, sending videos back to Chinese companies and people that are involved, like thanking them for being involved, speaking in Mandarin, like showing that they've learned Mandarin, like, like they are happy that China is doing that. Um, and, you know, the, the government of South Africa is pretty bad. Like, like they might, it's pot. I don't want the government of China to take over, but they're probably better than the ANC, the African National Congress. They probably are better. Like you'd be better off in China. Um, you know, I, I I know people in South Africa. Um, they're they're in a horrible state. They'd be better off in China, I think. Pretty sure, actually, they'd be better off in China. It's safer. They could start a business and run it without a problem. Um, they wouldn't be scared to stop at a red light at night. Probably that's not a problem in China. <laughs> no. Yeah, um, actually quite so, so yeah, people might, people might welcome it. And like we were talking about what would China do here? Uh, no, they're not doing it with nuclear missiles, even though they could they didn't need to do that. When's the last time China invaded a country? I can't think of one. 
I'm not counting. I haven't even this invaded Taiwan yet. Taiwan and yeah. All right. I guess we should wrap it up, guys. <laughs> it's been a while. Thank you for joining me, um, all three of you. I don't know if Cheeky's still there. You there still there? I Cheeky? am. I am all still right. hearing. You can't see me. Okay. Well, thank you for joining as well. Thanks everyone for watching. Um, let's see. We have a Feffy break tomorrow morning. Um, so we'll see you for that. And uh, I don't know. Other than that, have a good rest of the day. Let's hope that this works. Thanks for watching. If you're new to the channel, we have a deep content library that includes interviews with everyone from Mike Cernovich to Megan Murphy. So go check it out. If you'd like to see more, please consider supporting the show by visiting unsafespace.com slash donate. You can find us on all the major social media platforms. Well, mostly. And you can find a community of like-minded individuals on our Unsafe Space chat on Telegram. See you there. Warning. This is an unsafe space. Dangerous ideas have been detected. The content of this production has not been authorized by the Cathedral. Pay no attention to its thinky talk. The following co-conspirators have been unpersoned and will be recycled as part of our sustainability program. Here's a fun fact, there is literally no downside to unreserved obedience. We are not violent. But I would like to remind you that we have nukes and F-15s. If you think about it, no one should be allowed to express opinions. But don't. Think about it, I mean. That's not your job. Thinking has been scientifically proven to be less efficient than compliance. Science, scientific, and scientifically are registered trademarks at the World Economic Forum. Unauthorized use is prohibited. Computer voice Curtis, never mind, that last line is fake news. Please disregard it and return to your safe space immediately. There will be cake.